Welcome everyone, and I'm staying out of the sun when I can manage it. This is SNGP73. I'm your host, David Rad, former writer of Games Industry Biz, Industry Gamers, and Gamer Feed. With me, someone who wonders when the hot season will end, it's my editor, contributor, and partner in potting. It's Tuesday. Uh, it's I've, I've gotten really fortunate lately. Um, it hasn't been so hot here yet. Um, although that is, uh, that is quickly turning, uh, last couple weeks have been 80, 85, 90 some days. And, uh, that's, that's the cutoff point for me is when, uh, I, I can feel my sweat boiling is, uh, <laughs> is pretty bad. <laughs> also, uh, we're all wondering when like the smoke season will end, uh, to which we, we look never, at, never. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess the... I guess that's up to Canada. Uh, like can Canada, yeah. yeah, Canada burns and uh, America suffers the after effects. It's the uh, it's the it's the opposite of how like life has been like over the past seventy years, really. So like uh, we're honestly just uh, getting some karma back, really, uh, over some things. But um, no, it's been you know. That being said, <laughs> Canada Burns would be a great metal band name. <laughs> I, I, I like that, but yeah, it has <laughs> it it has indeed been re really bad in some parts. But um, but anyways, putting that all aside, uh, topic not related to how hot the summer has been, but we're going to be talking about Chai Sky Children of Light. Uh, before we get into the podcast proper, going to shout out. Patreon.com slash SNGP are four tiers to support us. Uh, and I want to call out in particular Boy 42 Appreciate your contribution. I want to say we we appreciate any amount of money anybody might throw your way and certainly your listenership. Many thanks. Uh, now I'm going to shift over to the housekeeping of the week. Um, now, I've talked before on the podcast about the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth trailer, uh, where I was skeptical of what was being shown versus what was being said when Tifa was confronting Sephiroth in Genova's chamber. I actually listened to the Japanese version of that trailer, and Sephiroth distinctly says Tifa, uh, wherein the uh, English tra trailer, he's saying more ambiguous things like her and she. Uh, it does make me wonder what the direction is going to be, but it does point to something that that remake had always been hinting at, which is this story isn't going to be the same as the original game, but a variation on that story in some ways. Yeah, I, I there's a, and now I can actually uh, accurately talk about this since you've actually watched Rebuild of Evangelion, which I'm sure we both agree was a bad expenditure of time. Um, <laughs> By the end, yes, the, I would agree with have, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, this fun fact: you're actually tuned into the uh, Rebuild Hate podcast. But um, <laughs> that aside. Um, what uh, people have been joking about with Final Fantasy VII Remake is that it's rebuild of Final Fantasy VII. And um, I, I feel like Square Enix kind of caught on to that when uh, they were marketing the first game. 
And now they're just like, I mean, our hand has already been played. We've already kind of showed people that we're, we're uh, scooching in a different direction. So they're just like, yeah, let's lean into it now. At least in certain parts. You know, I think that's actually a pretty accurate description. Uh, and as far as like my take on Rebuild, uh, the first two parts of it were pretty good. I liked them. And then it went in a w- really wacky direction. There was a large time jump. And it kind of stopped feeling like Evangelion to me. Uh, yeah. And... That's as much as I'm going to say since this is not an anime podcast. But yeah, like I feel like there's directions, that, interesting directions that he can go in for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth that will still keep it uh, attached to the fundamental story while like still telling something like kind of exciting and new. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's my hope. Finger, fingers crossed. But like considering the quality of remake, I am very hopeful. And that was obviously like the game I'm anticipating most, and I just absolutely gushed about the original trailer. But, um, anyways, uh, switching over from something I like to something I don't like all that much, uh, I'm not going to pretend that the era of Crypto Bros is done. But since the recent Crypto Winter, it looks like, uh, and it looks like it might be an extended ice age, the speculative money has started to filter into AI now. Uh, Gross. Yes, AI bros are a thing. We've gone from a what? It, why? <laughs> we've gone from obsessing about the metaverse to crypto to AI. Uh, now, I do think AI will have its uses, but I think it's going to be a lot of stupid money given to stupid people who don't know know about the technology they're peddling. Just trust me that, like, they're there and they're arguing for, like, different but, like, equally obnoxious things. Like, whereas for uh, crypto, they were acting like it was going to solve all banking issues, um, and it most certainly didn't. Um, and in this case, they, they're acting like this is going to, like, democratize creation and whatnot. Uh, but it's hard to say what the end point is for AI, at least in the near future, but. Uh, their visions of basically it, co- it comes to the respect of like you know oh like any, anybody will be able to cre- create things now just put it into an AI which is, strikes me as a heavy degree of ignorance over the technology and also uh, a heavy degree of contempt for actual creatives um, but yeah I um, it's this one is funny because instead of a crypto winter now we could be heading towards a nuclear winter so uh, that's exciting um, <laughs> Skyrim if you're listening to this um, hey I've always supported AI <laughs> I think you you meant Skynet not Skyrim uh, oh yeah well there's uh, sky Skynet uh, forget the fact that I uh, messed up your name a little bit <laughs> don't don't use that as an excuse to kill me. <laughs> There are better reasons. <laughs> it all keeps tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down. Uh, last Evangelion reference of the podcast, probably. Um, <laughs> That's no, yeah. don't promise yeah, that. I, I'm not, I, 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 I can't <laughs> promise that. Um, so, uh, in the last podcast, we reported that the Los Angeles City Tourism Board uh, had noted that E3 2024 and 25, 2025 have been canceled. 
the the ESA came out with a statement later saying they are currently having conversations about E3 2024 and beyond, and no final decisions about the event have been made at this time. Uh, well, this isn't a flat-out denial. It really doesn't pretend well. Uh, they're probably just trying to figure out what they can pull off because announcing something and then having it not fire is both embarrassing and disastrous to future potential events that they want to run. Yup. <laughs> now, uh, another thing for the last podcast, we related a statement about how Activision Blizzard stated, uh, stated that labor organization is a fundamental right, while at the same time arguing that they shouldn't take a neutral stance on work- workers trying to, out- to, trying to organize. This is probably... Uh, uh, probably the most ludicrous thing that they said uh, as to like why they shouldn't take a neutral stance as an organization is that, and I qu- quote, it's because Activision Blizzard has a history of acting in good faith with labor movements. Uh, it's mm, Biggest lies for 3,000, Alex. Oh, I guess that's an aged reference. <laughs> uh, Rip Alex Rebecca. Um, it's stunning that someone wrote that, and even more stunning, it's stunning that anybody would actually believe that, to be frank. Yeah, I don't believe that. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Not, not even a little bit, because uh, I have object permanence. Um, now, uh, Ubisoft actually had a pretty good... Uh, Summer Games Fest season, they showed off some games that some people might want. Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, uh, the Avatar game, uh, especially that Star Wars Outlaw game. Like, I think a lot of people were licking their chops over that. Uh, but not shown off, but announced a little bit afterwards uh, is uh, a, a game called Champion T- Champions Tactics Grimoire Chronicles. Uh, Described as a, it. I mean, it's speaking of AI, like that sounds like a title that was pumped out by an AI. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Honestly. Yeah, like no confirmation one way or the other on that. But uh, it's described as a PvP tactical RPG exper- experimental game. Uh, whatever, whatever that means, um, and is being done in partnership with the Oasis blockchain. Uh, gross. Yeah. Oh it, wait, is that also too gross? Isn't it? Night. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> we're we're not even out of housekeeping and have gotten to, but um, we're, you're setting these up and we're knocking them uh, down yeah, lately. <laughs> indeed. Um, uh, no release date. Supposedly coming soon. Um, notable that Ubisoft's quartz platform that they used in Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, is based on the Tezos blockchain, so they're using a different blockchain for this for reasons unknown. Um, so yeah, like reasons probably being because blockchain sucks. <laughs> so yeah, they've uh, Ubisoft still making a college try on this. Um, honestly, it's uh, it continues to be something like. Uh, I mean, the best case reaction that to this is, is I react to it like some some sort of privately run lottery in the way that there these things have been set up, uh, and that it is decisively for profit and um, tries to set up this 
idea that you could make real money off of this. But honestly, the possibilities of that are vanishingly small. Otherwise, like, I mean, if it could happen, if it was happening all the time, then I feel like we would be getting stories of that a lot. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, there's a reason that when the lottery hits someone, uh, there's a reason that they're, uh, it's reported on local news stations and ish. Yeah, but, like, for crypto, uh, not quite the, not the same thing. Certainly not for these crypto games. So, so, yeah. Just this idea that you could play these games and somehow make a significant amount of money out, uh, off of them as opposed to, like, uh, turning your fun time into, like, uh, another job except another job which almost certainly pays less than a real job. Um, I don't know, like... I mean, it's, it's like I've said about, like, gambling and games before. There's a reason why, like, I, I like to keep my, my real money and my game money separate. Uh, yeah. So, like, because, like, if it's not real money, then, like, I can just have fun with it uh, and not worry. But, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's kind of the fundamental thing that I have, and probably a lot of other people have, that, like, is probably going to really, uh, like hinder the amount of actual fun that these games can be. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm open to, like, somehow being proven wrong, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think it will happen because uh, <laughs> crypto and NFTs are, um, again, stupid. <laughs> yeah, official stance here on a SNGP, but... Putting crypto to the side, thankfully. Tuesday, what has been lining up your system this week? Yeah, so um, uh, uh, this week, uh, in, in I, 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 I only try to comment on when when there is a uh, theme in my in my gaming, and uh, unfortunately, this week there is one. Uh, that unfortunately being that it is uh, games that I could play while well, a little bit passive in in that like I was doing other things. Um, the first game that I'm going to play, so, that I'm going to talk about, sounds exactly like what it is. Um, it's, uh, I've, I've never heard a more descriptive uh, title for it. Uh, it's, it's called Max Gentleman Sexy Business. Um, it's exactly as ridiculous as it sounds, and I'm accidentally in love with it. Oops! Um, so Max Gentleman Sexy Business is a uh, business management sim. Uh, set in, like, not a specific year, but uh, kind of sort of Victoria-era um, London. Um, and you have to run a business with a bunch of eligible bachelors and bachelorettes um, who have crazy money, and everyone's insane, and it's hilarious. It is one of the funniest games I've ever played in my entire life, and I love it so much. <laughs> um the reason that it is sort of a passive game is because it's uh, very similar to um, a mobile game in a way in that like uh, you pick up an icon of, of your, the CEO, you drop them in the business uh, building that you want them to work in, uh, and you just kind of wait for them to get done, and then you have bigger number, essentially. So there are a couple of different stats for each um, CEO. Um, there is like how much money they make. So if you put them in the bank, they're just racking up currency for you. Uh, there is a, um, 
boxing stat that is uh, referred to as fisting uh, for the exact reason it sounds, um, because this game is full of uh, 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 double entendres, as it were. Um, and uh, there is, then you can like recruit people in the slums because this game is uh, a little, little, <laughs> a little silly about that. And then there is uh, probably one of the funniest stats that you can level up is a character's mustache stat. In that, um, the more mustache they have, the more people they recruit in the slums. It's very silly. Uh, uh, I have, I have I, a question. Well, I'm putting up my hand right to that. Yes, uh, so, yes. uh, so what do the ladies do about this mustache stat? Uh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, they all have a different mustache themselves. One of my favorite characters, uh, her name is Pip Whipple, um, which is fantastic naming. Thank you, game. What she does is, I believe it's her, she puts on a bowler hat that <laughs> has a mustache connected to it with, like, two strings. <laughs> and you can change her costume to, like, have that bowler hat and mustache and two strings. It's very silly. There, there, there are, There's one character that I believe, like, paints on her mustache. Um, and, and it is actually kind of funny that, like, um, when you do level up that stat, they do give you a costume for it. Um, and, and with all of the women, it's some obvious, like, exaggeration of a fake mustache. With all the dudes, it's just like, oh, wow, this is a really impressive, burly mustache. But they were like, no, 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 the, the women get the stashes, too. So I... <laughs> I respect and I laugh about okay. that. Okay, okay. Because I'm, it is very silly. I'm glad it was that as opposed to something that would make this game X-rated. Uh, so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so uh, you can level up your mustache, get more people, and um, uh, the reason that you would want to get employees from the slums is because uh, the main story of the game is your business rival who you get to design. So I put him in boxer shorts. Um, a hook for a hand, an eye patch, and a top hat because he needed to be a little fancy. <laughs> um, and um, he, the story is that he has stolen your business when you return from a business trip, which I have an aside about momentarily. He, um, he stole your business when you returned from a business trip, and it is your job to now get that business back. And that's why you are teaming up with these CEOs. Um, so what happens is that like you're given a map of the city and it says, Hey, here are the, um, other CEOs that like are currently running businesses for him. So then you'll pick one of them. They'll hang out in the town square and then you take your CEOs and all of their employees and you send them to the town square and they beat each other up because <laughs> this game is, is ridiculous. And that's how, <laughs> that's how you conquer a business. And that's called a hostile takeover. I love this game's writing. Um, <laughs> as an aside about the game's writing that I was about that I was going to mention when I brought up this, uh, the rival CEO, is that um, you have a maid uh, who is appropriately named Business Maid, um, and a muscular butler who is appropriately named Battle Butler. Um, <laughs> um, that uh, when you arrive, Business Maid says, "Oh, how was your trip?" And it's kind of like a multiple character answers kind of thing where you get to design your own background. And so uh, she was like, oh, I heard about the volcano eruption. Uh, were, were you at all involved in that? And I said, yeah, I caused it. And then this like uh, black and white newspaper 
um, like picture popped up with like a headline that said volcano erupted and it showed my character and then it had a headline quote from me quote unquote me that said I simply refuse to stop punching the volcano and I'm like oh that's beautiful <laughs> that is that is fantastic um, so so again the game's writing is just on point um, but yeah like it, it's it's not anything super involved it's not like an action game or anything you don't need to like constantly grab the CEOs and put them in, in, in the different buildings but it, it's got enough for me to be like okay I want to listen to like a podcast or watch a movie but still have something going on in my hands so I'll, I'll just play uh, Max Gentleman Sexy Business uh, the other main feature of the game is relationship building with the CEOs which is done through kind of persona style S links uh, social links in that um, you'll go on lunch dates with them and that builds up their meter and then they have like a whole scene about it I haven't really been reading all of the scenes because, like, they are multiple, multiple pages of dialogue um, that, like, I, I enjoy the writing, but it's, like, kind of hard to focus when, when there's other, when there's flashy, clicky things that I could be touching. Um, but uh, some of the lunch dates are pretty funny. Uh, there's one that's a butler battle, which is just a battleship but you make your butler lay on the ground and he attacks the other butler with a um, suction cup bow and arrow. <laughs> um, yep, yep, there is truth or dare, or no, not truth or dare, rather. Um, it's would you rather, and you have to like, uh, the CEO is like, hey, here are these three options, or the, here are these two options, which of them is more like me? One of the ones that I did just recently um, was like one of the options was um, be... Uh, be no have to provide a quote for a crime that your quote unquote fun uncle definitely performed on vacation in Cancun or like uh, push your mother out of a moving car because you wanted to see what would happen um, so it's just crazy ridiculous things that are written in there I this this game is charming it's silly it's very uh, crazy and posh and I love it. <laughs> Okay, I have a couple questions. Number one, is there any sort of like dating option in here? Uh, do you how so? Like, do you date the other CEOs or whatever? Yes, yeah, you do. Okay, uh, yeah, th those are the like little a after you build up enough of a heart on the lunch dates with them, then you do see like a scene with with them that uh, talks that like tells their story. Pip Whipple, for example. Um, one of my favorite characters in the game. Her father was police commissioner, so she's like a little junior detective, and her full storyline is about, oh, there's been a murder, and so um, uh, you have to like interrogate different people with her. Um, at one point, she suspects it to be Battle Butler, um, and uh, he's like, yes, I suppose I must have killed someone. I, I do have a habit of being violent. Um, and then you can, like, send him to the electric chair, but then it turns out that Pip Whipple's father, like, set up a murder so that she could have fun investigating. Um, that's, so that's part of her storyline. Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, because I was just looking at some of the characters of this, and... Uh, it just gave off the vibe of, like, they they want everybody to look attractive enough that you might want to date them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, honestly, in, in some ways it reminds me of, like, I mean, your description of the writing and whatnot. It's like, oh, this, 
This is like a, I mean, the genres are different, but it's it's like Boyfriend Dungeon, except you actually like the gameplay parts of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. On, honestly, yeah. Like it, it has very good, very fun writing, but also the gameplay doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> like it's actually gameplay that I want to keep doing. It's it's kind of hard because you are put under a time limit, um, and it's not. It's not quite this, so I'm not going to say, oh, it's one of these games, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the same itch that a roguelike or roguelite scratches for me, in that, like, every time that, because, like, um, you, you can lose, you can, like, uh, not have enough money to pay back your loan, and, um, and then you have to, like, your business goes under. Um, and then you can start over, you can pick a, a different CEO to be your main partner, who is the person that you start with. Um, and then you can find the different CEOs throughout. It's not exactly roguelike and randomized like that, but it does kind of hit the same thing in that it's like, okay, not like two businesses are not going to be one-to-one -one identical. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and certainly there's a bunch of different characters you can play and... Uh... And uh, obviously, different uh, different routes you can take. So, I mean, hey, that's uh, re replayability. It's always uh, it's always good if you can manage it in the game. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can tell like this is uh, engendered a bit of a community. I'm seeing some like uh, uh, some very very nice and very wholesome even fan art that's out there of this game. So. Uh, yeah, no, this game this game definitely seems to be a uh, darling amongst the people who have played it. I certainly love it. Uh, it's got a lot of charm to it. Uh, it's it has like I said, the writing is just on par. It's very uh, cute, um, and and like they actually it it seems like the writers are actually endeared with their characters. So that's very nice. Is one of the characters named Vicky Lestrange? Oh yes, all of the characters have lovely names. There's uh, Fanny Wifflebottom. Uh, there's, as, as I mentioned, uh, Pip Whipple. Uh, business maid is actually her is not actually her name, but she's like, well, since I'm a maid for a business owner, that might as well have been my name. Uh, there's Battle Butler. Battle Butler. Uh, one of your one of the uh, CEOs that you have to like work to take down is named Cassius. Uh, they, they, they all have either like some sort of pun name or a business related name. Uh, this is wonderful. Penny Farthing, uh, yep. Bon Bon Van, Von Valentine, uh, yep. Fanny Snufflebottom, um, Gun Moses, uh, and of, yep. and of course, uh, Max Gentleman. Uh, yes. I uh, I have to give this game credit. This does uh, this game is just bursting with uh, with lighthearted charm, and you know oh, I oh absolutely <laughs> I can uh, I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a nice little game to like turn on and just be like, okay, it, it's very uh, it it kind of hits the same vibe for me as uh, playing Power Wash Simulator did last year. And that, like, it's just like, okay, I can, I don't have to focus on all of this game. Okay. It's kind of a shame, like, it looks like uh, only two places have reviewed it. Uh, but, uh, and it's currently Steam only, but 
yes. it's it's like this is obviously an indie project and it's gotten enough attention. I always hope for things like this, like that they'll uh, eventually like do things like come out on Switch and come out on PlayStation because you reach a whole new audience that way. Uh, yeah, 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 and they they might. I wouldn't like guarantee it or count on it or anything, but like. Monster Prom has a very similar kind of premise in that, like, oh, you're dating these well-written characters. And there's actually, like, crossover DLC with Monster Prom in that, like, you... There are costumes of those characters in this game. <laughs> um, so, like, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Monster Prom has gotten, like, console ports and stuff. It's just... I don't entirely know that this game would do that. Uh, it did come out... I can't remember the exact year, but I know... Uh, was tw- it 2020? It was 2020. Okay, yeah. I know that, because uh, I read that they were working on the DLC, which I have been playing, uh, just because when I bought it, it like the free DLC was included. Um, and I know that that was held up by COVID, but then it did, the, that DLC did release in 2021. And I think that's the last that they developed on that game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's... I'm glad to see that that bu- bubbled up for you. Was this a suggestion from somebody you knew, uh, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine was like, "Hey, um, I, I know you're looking for uh, games that are well written and and not entirely active." And I was like, "Yes." She was like, "Hey, have you heard of this one?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't, but this looks interesting." And then I, because it is on sale during the Steam Summer Sale, I I probably wouldn't have paid full price for it because like. Business simulator does not uh, exactly scream out to me as something that I'm in love with, but like the writing uh, is well enough that I'm like, yeah, I, I I think I've played it by now for like 10, 12, 15 hours ish around there. So um, I I have gotten my money's worth on that. So if I were to drop it, fine. Um, the the one aside that I do have is that uh, there's a YouTube channel, and this is completely anecdotal. It, it's not at all related to the game, but it, it, it's something that I think about every time I open this game up, is uh, there's this channel called Dead Meat that talks about horror movies, uh, and a running joke on that is that the host, whenever a character uh, t- uh, does work or says business, he puts on a, uh, a bowler hat, grabs a cigar, and screams business, and uh, that's what I think every time I open up this game is business. <laughs> yeah. The reason I ask about recommendations is because, like, this strikes me as the sort of game you would be you would be recommended as opposed to encountering yeah. it any other way. Um, yes. Yeah. It, it's it's definitely not a game that is advertised. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that that is very neat uh, for me. Uh, I continued my ventures around Manhattan as Spider-Man playing the City That Never Sleeps DLC. Uh, oh yeah, that's uh, there was that DLC. There Were there two or three DLCs for that th- game? There were three episodes. Uh, okay. And uh, the first one, Black Cat comes back, uh, <clears throat> and she still very much has the hots for Peter. Uh, Black Cat comes back, throws her underwear at Peter, and Peter says, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I made a note here, I have a feeling I'm going to be very disappointed in his behavior. Uh, 
Peter, stop being such a goody two. That that was the only. Well, I mean, I I enjoyed that game, but that was one of the good things about Spider-Man: Web of Shadows is that Peter was like, "Oh, Black Cat, what's up? You want to hang?" <laughs> that does like. I know some people kind of like Web of Shadows, but uh, like that's yeah, Web of Shadows is pretty okay. But anyways. Uh, uh, also worth noting, like the the Magia cr- crime families are a big part of this. Uh, that's the Marvel Universe's mafia. They're called Magia. Uh, uh, it's now for this uh, for these DLCs, they put new collectibles in in the open world as well as new crimes to deal with. Uh, so it's yes. so it's not just a new set of missions. I give them credit. Uh, like. I mean, it's obviously not as much as the main game, but like, um, but it's still some stuff there. And there's also some like Magia crimes that are like happening out in the open world that you have to deal with. So like, it's somewhat filled out. Uh, now, uh, uh, new, a new a new enemy type uh, in the first DLC is a giant guy wielding a minigun. So yeah, there's a new enemy type in this wielding a minigun. The the main game there's a shocking amount of people firing rocket launchers, and I was thinking like, oh great, now this. Uh, yeah, uh, Manhattan has a rocket launcher problem. Yeah, there's, there's an infestation of rocket launchers in that city. Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, there's. Uh, there's also some guys with rocket boots and energy shields in the second second episode. Uh, <laughs> That's so dumb. Yeah, there. Uh, Peter makes a cheeky remark in their first encounter, like you know, I I know another guy with a shield. Uh, <laughs> okay, that can stay. <laughs> in the end, in the final episode, you see new rocket soldiers, uh, different from the rocket soldiers from the main game, uh, th- that are general. Uh, and there's also a general like upgrade to all the general goons, so that makes the final episode definitely the hardest part of Marvel Spider-Man. Um. Gross. <laughs> I I did find that like in in uh, the base game because I haven't played the DLC yet. Um, I did find that in the base game, the most frustrating enemies were the gimmicky ones, like the um like like the kingpin kind of enemies, yeah. or like you mentioned the rocket launcher enemies. It was like, oh, oh frigs. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely have uh, challenges of their own. So it feels like in the final episode, they uh, perhaps accurately predicted that people had been playing the game for dozens of hours at that point. So like they just kind of crank up the difficulty a little a little bit. So and that may after dying a couple times, it made me realize like, no, I need to actually really be focusing on this. Uh, uh, so. So, uh, but to go back to the story of this DLC, uh, I, I don't like to talk directly of the, the story of things sometimes, but in this case, I, I am going to a bit. Uh, Black Cat is a big part of that first episode. Uh, she's working for Hammerhead, the Magia bo- boss, uh, be- because uh, she claims he has her son. Uh. That that raises a red flag. I don't. I don't think Black Cat has a son. Well, uh, now the, this is what she says to Peter. Uh, Peter is worried because they dated, and he's he's thinking, what what if it's his? Uh, 
And so his first reaction upon hearing that is to call up MJ and tell her voluntarily. Uh huh. And once he finally catches up with Black Cat, which, by the way, it's a really fun sequence, like, uh, wherein, like, she's just kind of dodging around the fight, uh, city, and, like, the, the purpose of the battle is to basically just catch up to her. Um, but, like, once he catches up to her, like, he rebuffs all of her interests, and then he says, aw, MJ's gonna kill me, uh, while he was being, like, completely and totally faithful, faithful to her. Uh. He, Peter, mm, anyway, <laughs> he's being just an infuriating dope about this whole thing in every way. Now, uh, I, I will say, like, they do kind of expose that, like, I guess in the whole relationship thing, they they did show like how it, like, I guess didn't work between uh, P- Peter and Black Cat. Though I will say, like, honestly, if I was the two of them, like, I'd be like, you know, Felicia Hardy, like, just just run an OnlyFans or something, like. Uh, <laughs> You know, you, you know, just you know, say I'll, I'll wear wear whatever sexy bikini you want want to. Like you'll, like you, you don't have to work a day job. Um, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> like you know, or like your identity is known. Like why don't you just re- like run the merch business of you too? Like uh, you know, you. I, I feel I feel like you could do something. It's not you know. I feel like Peter goes about it all wrong, uh, but. I'm, I'm having modern thoughts about like the very like old uh, creation of Spider-Man and how like he's you know Pete's a scientist and he maintains a secret and he blah blah blah. Anyways, um, I will say that the, like unfortunately, there's also a section where you control MJ again. Uh, I. Uh, it's really honestly nothing against the character in this particular case. It's just the fact that these are the sort of forced stealth sections that I thought gaming had worked out of their system at least 15 years ago. Oh, there's, there's this other part where like, uh, Peter is, uh, is chatting with MJ on the phone and he mentioned, and he talks about black cat and he talks about silver sable and he's, uh, he's like, you know, man, I've had, uh, like, you know, just all of these cha- challenging women have come into my life recently. Can you guess what MJ sa- has said back to him? Um, I, I have to assume she was offended by that. She, Either that or she was like, at least I'm not challenging. No, no, no. She said, like, you know, are you saying I'm not challenging? Uh, <laughs> I just heard that. Mm. I was, I just heard that. I was, I was just like, oh God, like even my reaction says I felt like, I was in this relationship with with her. I like my reaction would just would have been, can we just not do this right now? Okay, like we're yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah, sa- yeah. I'm trying to save the city, and you're like playing these games, and it's just like <laughs> like Peter has literally like given everything to try and make this relationship a thing. Okay, just <sighs> Peter has tried to give this relationship that's not working everything that he has. Instead, he could be with Felicia Hardy, yeah. who is very into him. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a fun part where, in like, uh, after you, like, beat up a bunch of Magia at a Magia bar, like, Felicia Hardy just, 
behind the bar looking for a drink for herself, and she's just kind of looking at the bottles, and then she's just kind of knocking them down as she goes, uh, like, until she finds the one she wants, like, the champagne she wants, and it was it was just a really fun little character moment, like, a very cat-like moment of her. Uh, I did like your observation last time that their sort of interaction would would be like Felicia Hardy, like being like, you know, oh, oh Pete, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, and him and Peter saying like, it all help you, and he like unironically brings her out with it with his web shooters. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, that's that's just the vibe that she has, and Peter's <laughs> just he's not. It's not that he's clueless; it's just that he's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're sitting inside missions and challenges. By the way, like there's a collectible, like you're picking up a bunch of uh, old, like stolen art in the in the in the first episode. I won't say like exactly what happens in the conclusion, but like uh, basically, P- like Peter is totally had by the end. Uh, like I was, I was actually pretty impressed by the first episode. I was just like, wow, like you were, you were, you were taken in by two people over the course of this, this DLC. That's pretty impressive, Pete. Like, uh, uh, he even makes a comment like, uh, like, uh, after he realizes what happened, like, you know, oh man, I should just be cynical like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, to speak very generally to the story, it, uh, I mean, it starts out a, light, a little lighter, uh, mainly focusing on Black Cat at first, but then, like, it really gets hardcore into the, the Machia stuff and Hammerhead basically trying to take over all of New York's Machia and, uh, and eventually, eventually degrades into, like, a, uh, like a police contact, like having, uh, like g- going on d- uh, a d- dangerous and reckless spe- spree to try and take him down. But good, good. but uh, yeah, like the three part DLC has the feeling of like an actual comic storyline with definitive endpoints of the conclusion they won, but an ongoing serialized storyline uh, carrying through them all. Like the, I mean, like it just describes the DLC this way. Like the, like the first episode is Black Cat, second one is Hammerhead, third one is Silver Sable, uh, and uh, I, I will say like there's a, uh, I mean there's there's more, so yeah, there's more Silver Sable in the third one, and uh, they're they're a funny pairing, uh, mainly because like Sable is just like hyper serious about everything and. Uh, and and Pete is Pete, so um, yeah. They're they're trying to like discover Hammer Hammerhead's weakness, and uh, and like after after they beat up a bunch of ba- bad guys, like he like uh, P- Pete's like you know yeah high five and like and she she completely you know acts like she doesn't see his hand, uh, and then like you know so they're doing a little bit of research and then they realize that they, at, at this at the same time looking at the computer like you know that's it that's the secret they're both. Uh, looking at each other in, in space and like, and and slowly Peter raises his hand for another high five, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she, she she's about to not do it, but as she's walking away, she she does she does give him a high five. But um, it's... I I really like combining a a character like Pete who is just uh, goofy as uh, <laughs> very goofy. With a entirely straight laced, no nonsense nonsense character, they usually do it pretty well with Spider Man. Um, 
Silver Sable's a good example. Yeah. Sometimes, depending on the situation, Punisher can be a good example. Yeah. Although those ones get dark. Yeah, they, they certainly can. Uh, I mean, I will say Sable is a... This incarnation of her is very violent, but um, uh, yeah, the so so that so that's kind of fun. Uh, I you know overall I liked this series series of DLC. Like as far as like general consequence, like it's kind of a wrap up on like some stuff from the main story, but like not entirely vital. But like you know, it's just like a fun little compressed experience. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, I played it through and I was like, you know what? I, uh, I like this. This was, uh, I mean, I was worried that it was just going to be a series of missions, which would have been a real disappointment just given what the general game was, but like they managed to add enough that, that it was more than that. Uh, and it was also not too much, I guess, like at, at the end of it, like I, I played a lot of Spider-Man by the end of all of this. Uh, yeah. so but yeah, like th- thumbs up to this. Uh, a great little a little addendum side story to uh, to the, uh, to the main Marvel Spider-Man, and yeah, like so. After this, will be Miles Morales sometime uh, down the road. But I will definitely play that. Yeah, for uh, for the first time in a Spider-Man game, you won't play as Pete Parker. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, but I'm hey, like Miles is there in. Uh, like he, he, he also has some, some part, like he's basically being set up, uh, as kind of a subplot of all this. So, uh, and I actually, I actually really like his character. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, but putting that aside Tuesday, what else has been lighting up your system this week? Yes. Uh, I'm sure, very sure that some people are going to call blasphemy for the way that I play this game. Um, but I have been playing Dragon Quest XI, uh, and it's it's another game that um, I, I can kind of uh, turn my mind off uh, with, in that I have been playing it mostly with auto-battle, because I don't have time to play it in, <laughs> in, in deep strategic uh, format. Um, but yeah, I've been playing Dragon Quest XI. Um, my history with the series is not as in-depth as other people. Like, um, out of the games that I've played, I think that I've played five, uh, about two-thirds of five, a couple chapters, not even a couple chapters, maybe even, like, 20 minutes of four, and, um, and, and various spinoff games throughout the years, so I, I don't have an extensive history with Dragon Quest. Actually, I've played a little bit of eight as well, uh, which is probably the game that, if anyone... If any random person has played Dragon Quest, they would have played 8. Probably. Um, so it, it's not like I have some deep-seated nostalgia for the game, but uh, just playing Dragon Quest Eleven is like makes me feel like a kid on summer vacation. Like, just kind of hanging out and playing a video game in my parents' basement. And uh, that's, that's a nice little feeling for it to have. Um, as I said, I have been playing it on auto-battle uh, for most of the time. Uh, reason being is that um, a lot of this game is, while the RPG stuff is very good, and, and I, I like the tactical battles that I engage in with bosses, because I do play boss battles with uh, at, at, in full control, um, I, I don't want to spend like 90 hours <laughs> having to think tactically like that. Instead, what I like to do is um, put my characters on a setting that I think would be good for them, uh, and then I just kind of uh, go in the open world, slap someone, and just watch the game 
do its thing. And that's that's that is a good RPG for me. Uh, when when I can kind of turn my brain off and still not be worried about my party. Um, to me, what's more exciting about Dragon Quest XI is um, the character building in that uh, every character has, like, I want to say three or four skill trees that when you level up, you get uh, either, like, three or five uh, points to distribute into, into those trees. Um, uh, for example, in the hero, you have the luminary tree, which is just, like, all of his crazy chosen one skills. You have the sword tree, you have the great sword tree. Um, in Eric, your first companion, who is also amazing. I love myself some Eric. Eric's great. You have um, knives. You have whips. Is it? No, not knives. Uh, or not whips. Uh, boomerangs. Um, a, another couple skills. I think swords as well. Um, and just kind of general stuff. So, like, to me, that's more exciting than just, you know, having to uh, uh, deal with uh, endless battles. Because um, I can still see my character growth in that, and that feels good. Um, but uh, as far as the game goes, um, the story is, is kind of where this game shines a little bit more. In that it's just charming. Uh, it's like, I when I've been talking about this game with my friends, I've just been like, wow, this is like looking at a painting of a pure smile. Because <laughs> um, like, to me, uh, Square Enix has two-ish big notable RPG franchises. Quite obviously, they're darling in Final Fantasy. And then Dragon Quest, that they uh, sometimes forget is, uh, is their child <laughs> um, through adoption. Because uh, it was originally an Enix thing before they fused. Um so, uh, like, the reason that I, I, I enjoy this game more than, like, any random Final Fantasy game other than 1 or 3 is because Dragon Quest is just kind of light and cheery. It's, it's, it, it can have uh, some darker elements, but, like, it, it usually is wrapped around in this light, colorful world uh, with a lot of puns in the monsters' names. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, like, I just got to a um, town where there's a prince who uh, has to uh, have this whole ceremony the next day uh, about like how he how he's a man and how he's ready to take charge of the kingdom, uh, but he has to ride a horse and he can't ride a horse, so he's like, hey, if you want this quest item, you're going to pretend to be me and ride a horse. And I'm like, this is silly. <laughs> I'll do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just like a nice little smile game that, that's just uh, easy to digest. Um, I do like um, ha having the auto battle on because, like, it, it does make the encounters not feel as egregious. Like, that's something that I think uh, a lot of RPGs you have to be, like, aware of that that's what you're going to be doing for the next 80 or so hours. But I think this mitigates that enough for, like, someone like me who, like, sometimes doesn't have enough patience for that. To, like, just sit down and still enjoy it and not be, like, robbed completely of the experience. Um, what I have engaged in, in the full battle system with the boss fights, it is a really fun and good boss, uh, battle system in that, like, you can think about all the different, uh, ways that you want to do damage. Like, right now I have Eric mostly as a damage over time kind of unit, and that he'll poison enemies, he'll, uh, cast spells on enemies that, like, makes them take damage at the beginning of every turn, uh, and that can synchronize nice with my hero, um... I, I only recently just got the couple mages, so I haven't played too much with them, but I, I believe that they would also have really nice synchronizing um, 
tactics with the hero. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it is a rewarding experience even if you don't want to engage in the turn-based battle all the time. Which like when I do, I've I've been incredibly impressed and, and enjoyed it thoroughly. So yeah, Dragon Quest Eleven is a is a good game. I, I quite like it. I'm hoping that I can keep my focus on it for long enough to beat it because last year I spent a lot of my summer playing um, uh, Fire Emblem, and I'm hoping that I can do the same with uh, this game. Yeah, uh, as somebody who has quite a bit more experience with the series than uh, than you do, I, I have uh, played to completion Dragon Quest one through eight. Uh, like your descriptions about like the charm of Dragon Quest is, I think the main reason that I and a lot of other people have kept on coming back uh, to the franchise. Yeah. Um, and that like there was a there was a genuineness to the fantasy that uh, that frankly uh, in all of the imitators of Dragon Quest over the years like very few really managed to capture that spirit. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, to what you're speaking about, for the fact that, like, whenever you go to, like, a new town or whatever, like, there's some, like, new bespoke, like, uh, problem that you have to deal with. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, that to me is very uh, Dragon Quest right there, uh, particularly as the series progressed. Um, just the just the detail that goes into the story. Or, like, even for, like, random NPCs, uh, like, I... Uh, like, I know in 8, um, there were opportunities to, like, go around and uh, talk to NPCs, and sometimes you'll be, like, coming back to towns and talking to them, and, like, and Dragon Quest is one of the few games where I actually feel like talking to all the NPCs is really rewarding, uh, because, mm -hmm. like, they actually put a lot of thought into each individual one, like... And I remember, like, in, in, like, 8, there was this one just guy around town who, like, obviously, like, has the hots for uh, the caster Jessica in your party. Uh, and, like, there's kind of a kind of a mini-arc involving him, like, in... Uh, and it's not like he confesses his love to her at the end or anything like that, but he... Uh, but that was interesting, like, and it was to the point where, like, actually, uh, at the end of the game, uh, it was possible to... Like, I actually, like, went around to all the towns and talked to all of the NPCs over again since everybody had new dialogue. They refreshed for, like, the end game state. Uh, and uh, the king actually commented when I finished my my tour of the entire world. He was like, okay, can we please get back to the, to the thing at hand? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cause in uh, eight, you're you're uh, carting around the the king that's been turned into like a toad kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The the, the king has been cursed, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's always around. But yeah, they're um, it's just that incredible level of detail. Like that is a reason. And I will say, like when it comes to the auto battle thing, I honestly don't think that's as blasphemous as as maybe you think that is. Like, uh, like particularly for like a Western perspective. I mean, like honestly, I've used some degree, at least like for the for the NPCs of auto battles, because like uh, there, like there just is a lot of grinding in those games. Oh yeah, uh, and and I'm, and like the encounters usually like are better designed than like most ter most turn based RPGs in their nature, but but it's still a lot over time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I I don't think that's really frankly blasphemous at all. 
Um, it's a so. So have you? Uh, do, do you have Jade in the party yet? No, I'm so excited to get her though because um, obviously, but also I heard that one of her uh, trees is um, sexy, uh, like legitimately <laughs> sexy. Because um, Dragon Quest has a really weird history of being overtly horny. <laughs> and, and, like, what is generally, like, speaking a child's RPG franchise. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll that'll be an interesting <laughs> tree to go down. Um, I, I'm, I am surprised, though, at how much, like, I, I have been enjoying having Eric in my party. Um, because, like, he, he's the first character that you get. Um usually this kind of like um buddy character and and i i will admit that i'm used to more darker jrpgs a la persona smt stuff like that um like i like i'm just more used to uh those buddy characters being annoying like in persona 3 <laughs> one of my all-time favorite games junpei at one point actively accidentally sabotages seas and then, like, nothing ever comes of that except his, um, except that, like, the reason that he did it is just, like, kind of dismissed. Um, so I was like, eh, gosh, a, a, a buddy character that I'll probably replace. But no, Eric is really fun and really well written. Like, um, what, uh, the, the beginning of the story, uh, not to wax poetically too much on, on Dragon Quest Eleven, uh, story, is that you get thrown in prison and uh, you're across across the cellmate is uh, Eric the thief, and um, in order to get his attention, you have to throw a couple pots, and he's like, "Hey, calm down," and then he's like, "Hey, crying's not gonna do anything," and then as soon as you say you're the luminary, he's like, "I'm sticking with you. This seer told me to hang out with you. You are my best friend now, and he <laughs> is so good. He is. He's just a really good guy. Big fan of Eric." <laughs> That's that's really surprising. Like usually, you roll with the entire party of females. I know if you can uh, help it most of the time. Yeah, no, Eric is just uh, Eric staying. <laughs> <laughs> I have met the next party member because I do spoiler quote unquote know all of the party members. Like that's not I don't think a major spoiler because on on the actual official website it lists them. I know my next major part party member i've met him he's silvando he's kind of like a clown kind of thing mm. and i'm like yeah i'll try him for a little bit but eric's eric is probably gonna win out over him <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a uh, uh there's a lot of uh and that's another thing is like is charming and colorful additions to your party uh that's yeah. uh uh, that's a huge part of it. Again, like I think part of the reason why Dragon Quest Eight uh, sticks out for everybody is because, uh, frankly, those uh, those core party members like uh, they're distinctly written. They also have like a bunch of very distinct like uh, English vo voice actors like and uh, whose mm. whose quality was actually really really good, like way ahead of the curve of what games were at that time. So yeah. Um, so so yeah, like just a. Just a lot, a lot of, a lot of charm to those games, uh, and yeah, and and from what I remember of my brief time, I got maybe I don't know twenty percent through uh, Dragon Quest uh, Eight when I played that. From what I remember, that game like those those four party members are your only party members for the game, aren't they? Um, oh gosh, like 
certainly the 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 certainly the, the core party members are hero hero Yangus Angelo uh, and Jessica. Uh, yeah. and I know other versions, like I think allowed you to substitute some, some other ones in, uh, but I forget if that got put into other, put into other versions. Uh, yeah, I, I know that the 3DS version that I played, I don't know if it was a new quest to the game, but it had like a duo of thieves that you could yeah. recruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I, th- those are, those are the core characters of the game, but they are, um, but yeah, it and it speaks to the strength that like those are the people you're going to be hanging out, hang around with with most. Um, mm-hmm. But they're they're uh, ex- but they're ex- extremely likable. I uh, yeah, hero hero Angela just Jessica Yang Yangus. Um, it's been a while you put me on the spot here, but um, uh, well, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm... And, and as one last aside um, about this is that uh, because I am playing the Switch version, that was dubbed the Definitive Edition, um, and it had all of the costume DLC from the vanilla game put into it. Um, I, I immediately changed the hero out of the um, Dragon Quest Eleven costume and put him into the Dragon Quest Eight costume because <laughs> that outfit is... Uh, canonically better than um, <laughs> the purple fit which is unfortunate because purple is my favorite color but man oh man that costume is incredibly lame it 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 the only time that i like it is in smash brothers ultimate <laughs> <laughs> and even then that's not usually the yeah. hero that i choose to play as yeah, yeah fair enough I, and one thing i will just add about like the general tropes of dragon quest like even for like a lot of the spin-offs um uh, it kind of shows like how uh, like difficult it can be to strike those those balance. Like I played Dragon Quest Warriors, and there was just kind of something missing from it, mm-hmm. uh, like from the charm. I mean, it's obviously like a very different game. It's an Omega Force game as compared to something ma- made by uh, by Pro- yeah. Project Armor, but like uh, it it didn't have quite the same level of charm. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny you mention that because I have I played that. A little bit, not enough to talk about, but like, it, it definitely felt like a pastiche of Dragon Quest versus playing Eleven. Like, it, it's very similar to when I started Tears of the Kingdom, where I was talking about, hey, have you played a game where, like, you, when you start it, you feel the prestige dripping off of it? Yeah, that's that's very similar to how I feel when when I pick up Dragon Quest. Yeah, no, I, I would I would absolutely agree. I would absolutely agree. But, uh. But speaking of the prestige dripping off of it in some ways, uh, what's what has been lining up my system has been Star Wars Battlefront Two. Uh, oh yeah, that uh, that game is kind of good. <laughs> and, the, and the prestige that comes out to, uh, that is dripping off of it is absolutely the aesthetics. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's a it is a uh, it's an old gen game. But they, frankly, nailed the look of Star Wars from every era depicted in live action. Um, mm. Like the, like even from small things, like it does the, like when it when a stormtrooper gets shot, like you know a big puff of smoke comes, like and sparks fly off of them as they like, you know, spasm to the ground, uh, which is a very like classic Star Wars thing to happen. Yeah. Uh, 
now, uh, uh, for the campaign, uh, like immediately, uh, they, I noted that the AI is some of the dumbest I've ever encountered. Uh, yes. <laughs> Wait, this is the PS4 one, correct? Yes. Yes, correct. Okay, yes. Then yes, it is very dumb. Very bad. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, I saw them, like, glitching out next to cover. Like, they were trying to do an animation of, like, getting behind cover, but, like, it was just, like, repeating over and over and over again. Uh, sometimes they would just be standing out in the open with it, without uh, trading fire, without moving at all. Um, just just really, really dumb AI. Uh, yes. This sounds accurate. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it introduces a card system which gives some active abilities to augment uh, your your character. Uh, so in that way, it's a decent tutorial for like those elements of the multiplayer. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's not really that complex a system. Um, there are some space dogfighting sections, and, uh, the, uh, and these are a little better than the on-foot on parts, uh, mainly because it, it, like, really displays the epic scale that this game is, is really capable of, but it is still, like, also, pr like, pretty easy. Uh, the, the game is generally, like, uh, not that hard as a whole, and the the only times that like I found myself dying were honestly just parts where uh, there were just uh, like it was just about being overwhelmed. Uh, like the the like there would just be too many enemies to to effectively deal with. Like there was no uh, there was nothing really really interesting about it. Uh, uh, now this is well known, but I'll uh, emphasize it for the record. Uh, Battlefront 2 chickens out on a story of focusing on original characters working for the uh, Empire about four missions in, when familiar familiar characters from the movie show up, uh, and the uh, and the turn for uh, the main character uh, comes out uh, it comes out after extraordinarily unnecessary act of super super villainy, uh, even by the standards of the Galactic Empire. And the central characters sw switch from loyal Empire spec ops to soldiers of the New Re New Republic over the course of about a mission and a half. Uh, Good. And it it basically just comes down to like oh like we're like for for no discernible reason uh, our home planet is is being like part of the dying wish of the Emperor was to destroy our home planet even though it had always been uh, loyal to the Empire. Yep, that's that's uh, scorched earth policy. We love it. Yeah, it, which is, it's, it's just just like why, but uh, now uh, there's a mission above Naboo that notes it as the Emperor's homeworld. Uh, it's it's funny about how I never think of it that way, but I I guess it's technically true. Uh, the it's at about this point it, point that the true nature of the campaign shows itself. To expose the players to as many locations and characters as it can possibly do. Uh, touching on various archetypes used in multiplayer mode. It's hard for me to say whether there was another plan at one point in time, and due to some combination of budget concerns and pressure up top to have recognizable faces, or just the practical need to introduce certain elements from the certain elements of the game, but it's still, like, a little bit hollow. Uh, 
it's weird because like some of the scenarios that come into the campaign like they they sh- uh, they should be fun but like I just kept on thinking why isn't this better uh, yeah and I think part of what it comes down to is like just the loose controls of like a dice game dice being the developers uh, designed for controlling a soldier on a wild wide battlefield that's probably gonna get clipped quickly uh, it's the different than the mechanics of like a tight single player game where the uh, player has so many more tools uh, at their disposal than the enemy. Uh, in some ways, like this campaign, just kind of feels a bit hacked in. Um, honestly, I yeah, I, I I've played a little bit of that game, and I I would largely agree in that like like yeah, there's a campaign, but it definitely feels like oh no, we we ship this next month. Uh, single player was promised. Um, just quick add something in craig <laughs> yeah i honestly always wanted to be in a starfire since the on point on foot sections were never not mediocre uh it's just blast a bunch of people maybe protect something while they work on a console it's the most standard affair of a uh third person shooter as has possibly ever been uh, d- delivered also, there's there's supposed collectibles you can have from like uh, hackable crates, but like, hey, if people wanted to complain about how most of the collectibles for uh, in the in the Star Wars Jedi series are just like uh, cosmetics, uh, imagine doing that, but just hacking a crate gets you nothing. Uh, it just it just notes that like, oh, you've you've hacked like one of three crates of this area. And you, that that is about as useful as a collectible. That's like, oh, you have one collectible out of forty. That is about the way it works. Uh, and you do get like, I guess, a little bit of the in-game currency if you get all the collectibles in a certain area. But you know, still, it it feels like a very piddling reward and something like again was just kind of thrown in at the last section to like just try and fill out the areas like give the player something to do because it was definitely sorely lacking the uh the main campaign itself ends on a weird note uh shooting the timeline decades ahead to that of the disney sequel trilogy um but at least everyone's favorite. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, but at least the DLC that resolves all that uh, res- is uh, is free. Uh. I have a super important question. Oh, <laughs> is there a trophy called somehow Palpatine returned? Okay, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> the ca- the campaign, the second campaign, um, it can. They came out like it's clear that their plan for this free DLC was to be something to like juice the numbers and remind people that the last Jedi was coming out. Uh, so that's that's episode eight. You're referring to an episode nine thing. Uh, so no, it doesn't. So no, basically it doesn't come up. And most of the stuff is basically. I was actually kind of impressed in the story. They were kind of like trying to hurriedly explain 
why the 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 first order is able to do all the things they're able to do just like wow they've like look at this they've been recruiting children that means that like they're like they they could take take down the republic easily now like it's a i i think the t- the time scale is uh around the same time as like episode seven i guess but um that's such a missed opportunity that's my favorite star wars quote ever <laughs> I'm trying. I I do actually. Well, I I think there might have been some some sort of in-game content for episode nine, but like nothing for like particularly referring to any content or memes from that. Uh, I which which would have been which would have been great. Like again, I, yeah. I like I feel like if you made one of these games these games now, you would probably actually not refer to the sequel trilogy since like oh absolutely uh, <laughs> people kind of don't like them but like you have to think about when it came out in 2017 we're still like really in the in the middle of the swing of these things uh and they yeah. and they were and this was before the last jedi so things hadn't been completely ruined um so they like they clearly had high hopes uh and uh, like Again, the game, like, you know, episodes one through nine of the movie series, like, hey, like, the aesthetics, like, all of that uh, gotten down perfectly, um, but but it still is, like, uh, when, it, when it comes to the, uh, comes to the heroes uh, that you can't control, since that's a big aspect of it, like, uh, honestly, there's a huge disparity bet- between, like, of coolness between, like, the light side and the dark side. Uh, like, do I, I, I mean, like princess Leia is, is like a neat character, but like, would I want to play her in a battlefield game? Like, eh, no, no. Um, and, and by contrast to that, like, you know, okay, like take, take like any character from the Disney sequel trilogy. Like if you had to pick one character that you would be like, okay, like smashing things up in, in that, or like, who would you pick? If you can pick one character in the sort in this in these sorts of games, um, the this is there's a genuine answer and a jokey answer, but even the jokey answer is not really jokey. <laughs> um, the jokey answer is Poe Dameron because Poe is very cool. <laughs> the genuine answer is Kylo Ren. Of course, of course, and Kylo Ren is in there, and they didn't have any of the original actors, but like the actor they got in to do a Kylo Ren is actually very good. So, oh, good. Uh, so like that, that out of all, ever out of everything that came out of the sequel trilogy, I feel like universally, or at least mostly, people were positive on Kylo Ren. Yes, uh, helped a lot by the fact that uh, Adam Driver might have been the best actor who was uh, in those movies. Yes, but uh, but yeah, like you know, Kylo Ren is in there, but like as compared to like any other character from those, it's just like. You know, Ray. I'm sorry. No, uh, Finn. Definitely not. Uh, Finn is in in here as a playable hero, uh, but you know, yeah. Uh, See, I that's that's the I uh, even. Of course, this is not a Star Wars podcast, but <laughs> e- even with something like that, it's very hard because like at, at 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 the time, like we didn't know what these arcs were going to be. But you, you, like you, in 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 um, the Force Awakens, you see Finn, and you're like, "Oh, Finn, that's cool. He's he's going to be a Jedi," and then his path didn't amount to that. It didn't really amount to much of anything. Uh, and no, 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 no. And in in fact, uh, to to speak to that, um, 
I, I have a uh, friend of mine who refers to um, episode eight as a side quest. <laughs> it's, it's not not inaccurate in the way that like episode nine had like at least three movies worth of plot that they tried to cram in. Yeah, uh, and ignored eight as heavily as possible. Anyways, like yeah, let's not let's not too tangent too much on that. Uh, yeah. But had three movies of plot and only one of them was okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I will. I will say for 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 Poe, like uh, he's not an on foot unit, but like he's like a hero starfighter unit. Uh, like so, and there there are heroes. There are hero starfighter units. Uh, okay. So, uh, and and a couple characters are kind of both, but like but Poe is not. He's just he's just his X wing. Uh, Poe is just Poe. Yeah. Which is which is a okay. We like Poe. Yeah. I like Poe <laughs> yeah. at least. But uh, yeah, like there. So yeah, a major deficiency in coolness between dark side and and light side, uh, uh, particularly outside of like the 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 Jedi. Uh, since like mm-hmm. I mean like since of course like for, for things like the dark side, you also get get access to like you know you can, you can be Boba Fett as well, uh, and the, you know and that's pretty rad. And he has a work he has a working jetpack. Uh, and heck yeah, yeah. So, you know, so th- thumbs up to that. Uh, I uh, to speak generally to my experience, I uh, when I tried out these st- uh, uh, the starfighter uh, mode, I got thrown in the middle of a starfighter uh, assault map. And uh, have you ever like gone in, in the middle of a multiplayer map and been like, okay, where am I? Like, wh- wh- what am I doing? Yes. Like, okay, like everything's over there, heading over there. Wow, it looks like cool things are happening. And th- and then uh, it just announced that the team I was on was victorious uh, without a single contribution on my part, uh, and I just burst. And I just burst into laughter. Uh, that's that's usually what happens when I play Call of Duty uh, in in the couple of times that I have. Such is what happens when you're just matched into games mid-swing. Uh, but again, like again, I, I give the game credit. Like the the Starfighter stuff actually for something that's like kind of only uh, like part of this game. The Starfighter stuff is actually kind of neat uh, and feels pretty good. Um, uh, now, as far as like the on the ground multiplayer, it feels like a more fun Battlefield 2042, which you might remember me talking about from earlier this year. Uh, yeah, with a similar feel, but its maps are more compressed and the abilities are more interesting. Uh, and it's also Star Wars as compared to our dumb world. Uh, so that that's right. a, that's and Star Wars. Uh, if if you're if you're up against Star Wars, you're not gonna win. Yeah, exactly. Particularly like if you're talking our world, and particularly if you're projecting into the near future, and your and and your your world is just our world, but climate apocalypse, which. You know the most depressing setting I can possibly think of, but which is just reality. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, uh, the I I actually felt like I could contribute in some of the battles as the support cap- uh, classes, and the fan service is excellent. Uh, everything still feels a bit loose, but that's just kind of the game. Uh, it still has the problem, which is a feature for most of these games. Um, those who just grind out better abilities have an advantage. Like if you get enough experience yeah. with class, like you just get better versions of different abil- abilities that you can use, and that's just gonna make you better. So, yeah, like that's that's just kind of what it is. It is what it is. 
now in most modes using hero units is something that has to be worked up to via game actions but there's a heroes versus villains mode which is the equivalent of eating your dessert first uh from, from the from the start you choose from the heroes of the light or the dark side and face off in team deathmatch uh not only do all of these characters have more unique and cooler abilities they also have some unique barks with each other uh, some will call out the presence of others on the battlefield, but uh, I in particular got into a fight with Vader as Luke, and there was a couple of minutes of unique exchanges between them. Uh, oh, yeah, that's actually exciting. Yeah, it's uh, it actually makes it feel like a like a particular cli- a climactic battle. Uh, uh, there's there's similar dialogue strings for Yoda and Palpatine, Rey and Kylo Ren, as well as Do- Doku versus o- Obi Wan. Um, yeah, and uh, and there's other uh, exchanges between uh, between enemies and allies with each other. Uh, they didn't really have to do any of this, but it really adds to the atmosphere. Uh, the uh, oh, it's also worth noting the voice actors are mostly those from the animated series, so they're they should be familiar to anybody who's watched Clone Wars and its various successors. Um, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I it, it is unfortunate in in cases like uh, Ewan McGregor uh, that they couldn't shell out for him because I uh, Obi Wan's actually my favorite Star Wars character because he's fun. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, it is uh it is the obi-wan from the clone wars series uh so who's fine but if if you're a fan of ewan mcgregor like <laughs> i uh it's it's not quite the same and, and i will say like for other small touches like the the guy who voices all the clones like his voice is in here like for, again for the clone wars series the, the the like voice that all the battle droids have uh is also here so um uh, same with Darth Maul. Uh, his 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 cartoon vo- uh, cartoon show voices voices in here. Uh, there's there's also some like fun like uh, you know theoretical like what what if scenario like dialogue like if uh, like if uh, like Anakin Skywalker who who is a uh, who is a light side character uh, if he if he faces off against Vader there's some there's some interesting dialogue there. There was a, a lot of time just, like, really carving out familiar environments. I feel like uh, something stripped out of the movie with plenty of small Easter eggs for anyone paying attention. Like, the medical bay on Hoth, the Gorg stand that Jar Jar tried to eat, it, eat from, and Mo- the Moss Aspa uh, marketplace on Tatooine. Like, those those weird radar things, and, like, the the base on y- Yavin 5. Uh, like, the, the, like, the Queen's a throne in the throne room in uh uh on on theed on naboo like just a just a lot of stuff there that like it's uh not necessarily to to notice or even put it in there but i'm just just like wow it's so cool that they put all that stuff in there so um so yeah uh in the end um i ended up liking the multiplayer quite a i uh yeah, I, I liked I liked it more than the single player campaign. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be effusive in my praise, but like I like I was relatively positive on it by by the end, and wouldn't be if so if somebody was like you know hey do you want to play this game I I would not be opposed to it unlike 
like something like Battlefield 1942, where I'd probably just go like, oh, now nah, you have fun or something like that. I wouldn't bother. That's not a game I would want to bother to re-download to play ever again. Uh, but yeah, that's that's funny. I heard that that one's a, a good game, but also I don't play online games, so I don't I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> From well, yeah. From what I know, like maybe big time battlefield people have come around in twenty forty two. I like I wouldn't know. I didn't have a ton of fun, but yeah. But th- but this game totally okay. It's it's kind of what you would want to be, and it's kind of a shame that like the loot boxes that they had designed from the start uh, basically kind of turned a lot of people off from it from the from the jump because frankly, like. The game that they have right here, if they had had like something closer to this game at the start, then mm. I think people would probably have a, have much fonder memories of of this game, and we might be looking at a Battlefront three uh, sometime soon, as opposed to probably not not anytime soon, if I had to guess. Yeah, as uh. opposed to uh, never. <laughs> uh, like, even though it still did sell a ton of copies, but like it. Uh, it's like you know, you know. It, it, there, I still remember there was such negative word word of mouth around its uh, around its launch, and like, and I mean, hey, I can't blame them. Like, it just had some of the grossest loot box monetization around at that point. So, uh, we'll add as one final tidbit of information. I was surprised to find out in the voice of Luke Skywalker for Battlefront Two, it's actually Matt Mercer, uh, which oh wow. <laughs> It's a man of a million voices. Uh, True that. And of course, like all the older characters, like they're all sound likes, but uh, thumbs up to all of them. I think they all did a pretty good, particularly good job, particularly for whoever was uh, voicing Han Solo. They they put out their their best like angry Harrison Ford voice, uh, and uh, and it, and it worked. But uh, switching over to the news this week, definitely the biggest thing that happened for the industry was the uh, the the continuing uh, hearing between between uh, the FTC and Microsoft about uh, with the deal between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard should be uh, should should be put put on held to I think uh, have a full FTC hearing but uh, uh, the we last podcast we covered uh, the first day. Uh, second day, like Phil Spencer was uh, was on the stand. Uh, I, I will just say in general, I found him like kind of duplicitous and self-serving, acting like Xbox was some sort of separate entity of Microsoft, and that Sony signing exclusive deals is a huge problem. Uh, compared to, uh, compared to his company's like large acquisitions of Acquites outside studios, which isn't renting exclusivity, it's buying it permanently. There was a <laughs> interesting revelation via internal doc- documents. A lot of a lot of things came out in discovery that uh, that we would have otherwise never known, uh, including uh, Axios and Stephen Tatillo. They found that apparently Microsoft was considering acquiring as many as a uh, hundred companies. Well, they were, they were looking at a list of a hundred companies uh, to potentially pick up. Um, 
These, inclu these include Sega, Bungie, CD Projekt Red, From Software, IO Interactive, Gear uh, Gear Gearbox, How uh, Housemark, Larian Studios, Remedy, 505 Games, Evolver Digital, apparently even Square Enix at one point in time. In, uh, I am so glad Devolver did not end up in those hands. Uh, I am as well. I, it was such an extensive list, I was like, I feel like it would be just easier to list the companies that they were not looking to acquire. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Devolver Directs uh, that had been sanitized by uh, Microsoft would suck. I. Um, this is an aside. Uh, a, a competitor to Twitter launched... Um, but from Mark Zuckerberg uh, and Devolver Digital posted that they started an account with, hey, um, their first post being, hi, we're Devolver Digital. We publish games very similar to those like Red Dead Redemption 2. Like if you'd want Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption 3 and it's just a picture of Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny, but... Yeah, in, uh, in this case, other uh, other details that uh, they came out was a uh, a uh, an email from 2019 from Matt Booty, uh, Matt Booty um, to Xbox CFO Tim Stewart that uh, that should, that said that he believed uh, Microsoft could quote spend Sony out of business uh, situation. Uh, and avoid uh, in the hopes of avoiding a situation where Tencent, Google, Amazon, or even Sony have become the Disney of games and own most of the valuable content. Uh, this uh, Microsoft has basically tried to dismiss this to say, like, no, th this happened. This happened before we tried to acquire Activision Blizzard, so it shouldn't be accounted for. So, which is, I guess, you have to argue something, I guess, but I. <laughs> strikes me as a somewhat insightful to their uh, uh, to, to like maybe their their prerogative over the past uh, like six or six or so years uh, to really try and uh, spend their way to the top um, uh, now the next day uh, Sony interactive CEO Jim Ryan uh, he came on and he he uh, he he delivered a pre pre recorded deposition de de because this was like uh, I, I can understand it was him coming in for an hour and he would have to fly in from the UK so it was probably just more efficient for him to uh, rec record his uh, comments uh, separately. Um, according to him, he felt like the uh, the the deal to keep uh, Call of Duty on Activision was. Uh, was not meaningful. Um, uh, saying that, like, apparently uh, in August of 2022, uh, so, uh, he, something gave him uh, very great concern over the the nature of the uh, the uh, of the acquisition, though that was not exactly detailed as to what um, they. Uh, They they noted that like uh, it it honestly caused some difficulties once uh, Mo Yang, the developers of My Minecraft, was uh, was purchased by Sony uh, because that that meant that like um, 
they didn't feel like they could send uh, pre-release development kits of a PlayStation 5 to, to Mojang because that would essentially be sending it to a competitor. Uh, so they're uh, kind of understandably w- worried uh, worried about like how that would affect a very big part of their business, which is Call of Duty. Like if Activision becomes acquired by Microsoft, that would essentially turn them into a competitor, even if they were still putting out games uh, for their systems. He did note uh, that, like when it comes to cloud technology, I he answered frankly, like uh, how important it will be. He uh, he gave a very big window for like when he thinks it will become a meaningful uh, a quote meaningful component of how gamers access games. He put it somewhere between twenty twenty five and twenty thirty five. Uh, twenty twenty five, I think, is on the earlier end, depending on the platform. Um, I think as far as that goes, it seems like Nintendo was trying it a little bit with the Switch Cloud games, but then they kind of realized. Eh, this doesn't seem to be what's moving things. I think with things like um, uh, Xbox Game Pass, it's still somewhat tepid in in that, like, certain gamers, myself and you, you, I believe, are part of this section, are more happier to own, even if it is a digital copy slash license of the game we're happier to do that than like have oh this is something that like we're going to have to pay money to like still access and if we decide to get rid of this service then this experience that we have that we can keep playing is gone like as as far as 2025 goes i think it's still way too soon for that yeah i i'd agree i would uh, i would have to see like a sea change of that come around um but it like it's one of those things that like I'm not willing to say it will never happen because it, yeah. it certainly could happen. Like it's uh, mm-hmm. a it's a fool to say like oh this this future technology with financial like we'll never actually uh, catch on. It's not and again it's not like the whole NFT thing where it's just like okay like what's the use case? This case I can see the use case if you like uh, fix for a couple of things. Um, and, uh, how soon will we get, will we get there? Like, I don't know. Uh, probably nobody knows. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think that this cloud streaming is overall going to be a good thing for gaming, but like right now, I don't think we're anywhere near the quote unquote Netflix of gaming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. According to Ryan, the original sp- uh, proposal by Spencer to keep Activision, I uh, called it the other Activision games on PlayStation, uh, didn't address his concerns because it mostly focused on catalog, uh, catalog games, saying it is in our opinion it was not meaningful. In our opinion, this list represented a particular selection of older titles that would remain on PlayStation. So, for example, Overwatch is on there, but Overwatch 2 is not, uh, which is the current version of the game. Um, and in describing Call of Duty, how it's unique in the AAA space, the way that Activision has been able to organize themselves to release new games every single year, and the games are di- different, unique names, there's nothing like in the industry. The closest analog would be the annual editions of major sport franchises. But that situation is totally different because the developers build incrementally on the previous versions of those games. Activision manages somehow to make a new game every uh, every single year. So, so the situation is every single year. I... I don't think that that reading is. Uh, I think that reading is pretty accurate. Like, just if you look at the the sales that like Call of Duty manages to 
to push through every single year. And it's true, like, it's not a, like, they're, like, each version is certainly built on things of the past, but, like, they're, they're, they usually have bespoke campaigns and all that. Yeah, now, uh, talking about, like, the comparison to the Zenimax acquisition, he, uh, he said about, like, Redfall being exclusive on, uh, 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 to Xbox, he he, fun- he says we have fundamentally no no quarrel with that, uh, and I mean the the joking inside about all this is just like oh no I'm sure PlayStation was scrambling to have Redfall, uh, but yeah yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's the one release that they'll never recover from. Uh, <laughs> though uh, when it came to Starfield, obviously the much more significant thing. Uh, he uh, he said quite simply like I don't like it, but I don't view it as as anti competitive, uh, which uh, that says to me like how like this has clearly been a matter of like picking fights here, um, because like if you think about it, like, and I think that's part of the reason why like the Zenimax acquisition was able to fly through without like too much trouble is just because like even all those games exclusive on Xbox they don't they don't really completely they don't really tip the scale that much uh like they tip it a little bit but like uh it doesn't fundamentally like i i don't honestly think it fundamentally alters the uh the the shape of the gaming industry though it, it just does make some things annoying because like you won't you will never play a, a, a feature in software game on your nintendo console um yeah no <laughs> Unless Nintendo buys id, Nintendo buy id so I can play Doom. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ryan said that the Microsoft noted that Microsoft is primarily a public publisher uh, is technically a publisher. It's principally a platform holder in the way PlayStation is. That's why it's so this deal is so difficult. He added, there is a complete difference between the incentives that Activision has and that and what Microsoft would have post acquisition. Uh, he noted the Sodas status of Nintendo considered both part of the console market and separate from it at different parts. And he he said quite frankly, uh, Nintendo sells consoles, yes, but they are in the console market, but they are not a direct competitor. An interesting thing to hear said out loud by an executive, but like probably mostly mostly true. Uh, like I think I think there is a, a like a degree of separation between like the like sw- like primary switch gamers and like playstation gamers uh and they're in the, yeah i would say so yeah and the particularly since like the biggest thing on like nintendo systems is definitely nintendo games and those are exclusive yeah. to nintendo systems um and like yeah sony games are big on playstation but like uh, but they aren't as big a driver as Nintendo's games are for this, their system. And also Sony is actually putting out their games on, on, on PC now. So, uh, it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's just a different, like, they, they just have a different way of like pursuing their businesses, frankly. Uh, now, uh, we, uh, moving over to day four. Uh, there were some fun things that came out via poorly redacted documents. Uh, for instance, <laughs> for instance, like and th- these aren't really that embarrassing. Like, but apparently, The Last of Us Part Two costs cost two hundred and twenty million to develop. Uh, 
Whereas uh, Horizon Forbidden West apparently caused it cost two hundred and twelve million to to develop. Um, that is that is quite a bit of money, but like like game development costs are rarely talked about. Uh, but yeah. like this is, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of what I would expect for like like the top level AAA games, like like nearly up there with like a huge movie. Uh, but I mean, like if you think about both of those games, like they've sold like well north of ten million copies. Like they probably made their money back like uh, like easily like within a month. Um, so it. You can make big bets with, like that if you deliver on the uh, consistently on the on the level of polish. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I saw just uh, today. This is uh, tangentially related. Is that uh, Street Fighter Six has already sold two million copies, and and I'm willing to bet that that game has now made back the money that was spent on it. Totally, totally, and that's that's a incredible thing for uh, for Street Fighter, and like, I and actually this might surprise some people, but. Uh, but actually, Street Fighter Five ended up being the best-selling uh, Street Fighter of all time. Like, it's kind of diluted by like the fact that there was a lot of different versions of Street Fighter Two. Um, yeah. But still, like that shows how the game got there, and also how fighting games have a very long tail. Um, right. You know, like they like whenever like a new character will come out and that'll juice sales. Like Evo will happen, and that will create create some excitement, like things like that. But anyways, but. Putting Street Fighter aside, uh, uh, the it's a the documents also uh, revealed that, that the PlayStation estimated about one million users only play PlayStation users only play Call of Duty, uh, and accounted for eight hundred million of Sony's twenty twenty one U.S. revenue and one point five billion globally. So that is quite a bit of money. Uh, yeah, other do- other documents that. Were partly redacted. Showed additional companies that Xbox was maybe looking to purchase, including Thunderful, Supergiant Games, Niantic, uh, Playtrix, Zynga, Bungie, Iowa Interactive, uh, and or Scopely. Um, like those are more in the indie sphere. So I, I would say from all this, like uh, I mean, a lot of attention is they're giving a lot of attention to Activision Blizzard now. It's like I mean, it's a huge deal, and there's. Uh, and it's still somewhat tenuous, but like I'm willing to bet, like after this wraps, they will st- uh, start pursuing more acquisitions again. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if they don't. Yeah. Apparently, the the Square Enix bid in 2019 was it was even given a project name, Project Phoenix, to try and get a bigger audience for Xbox in Japan. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, uh, it, and the, and the rumors were like around Sega were such that like Sega actually issued a uh, a, a statement. It was either like a statement or an interview where they basically said we're we're not looking to sell our game unit. So, um, but but it is certainly true like that Sega has a closer relationship with Microsoft than practically other major any, any other major publisher in Japan. Uh, like you just have to look at the, at that showcase, like those the three Persona games. Atlas is owned by Sega now, and like the the those Yakuza games, like you know there there's an actual connection there, uh, which I feel like most other big Japanese publishers like d- don't really have. Like they're either closer to Nintendo or Sony. Uh, this Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, he came out and basically talking about like how, I mean. 
this again felt like talking about both current reverse modes, talking about like how he didn't like exclusives and uh, and wish and uh, saying like for console exclusives, I have no love for that world. That might be true in a way, but like again, uh, like it's it's easy to say like oh I don't like this, but like also you engage in it too. Like uh, and I will just say for the record, like I, like honestly, if if like the Mexican standoffs like ended and Microsoft and Sony both shook hands and say we're going to release games for each other's systems, you know what? I would be so happy with that. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> that would be a nice conclusion. Yeah, like I, because like honestly, having limited ga- games, limited systems, like I, I, based upon anything other than capability, is I don't know. It's it's not actually that consumer friendly. But like, but one isn't going to like disarm without the other. Basically, it would have to be. Yeah, both would have to agree to do it. Uh, now, uh. Uh, Bobby Kotick took the, it took the stand, and uh, and he he said that uh, he made a bad uh, bad judgment not bringing uh, Call of Duty to Switch. Uh, he, uh, and I quote: I, "I made a bad judgment when I'd seen the prototype of the Switch. It was different than when I saw the prototype of the Wii, and I thought it was the most extraordinary video game system ever created." When I saw prototypes of the Switch, I was concerned because they were trying to accomplish a lot with a console that had a portable capability. I didn't think it was going to be wildly successful. This just in, sociopath wished he killed more people. <laughs> he said, it's, it's probably the second most successful video game console at all, t- all times. So it was a bad decision on my part. Uh, oh, oh, I just had a terrible realization. If, if this... Uh, acquisition doesn't go through like I'm hoping it doesn't, uh, then that means that uh, Activision is going to curse whatever next Nintendo platform there is with so much Call of Duty garbage. <laughs> he also um, he also apparently said he would consider uh, putting on like whatever Nintendo's next console is, saying, I think we will consider once we see the, pa- the specs, but we don't have any currently. Uh uh, he said, like I said, I think once we get the detailed specifications, we missed out on the opportunity for the past generation of Switch. So I would like to think we'd be able to do that, but we'll have to wait wait until then. Uh, the... Nintendo, don't send any specs to them. <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, it it is worth noting in all that, like, he kind of acted... Uh, like all this, like list of like, oh, we missed, we missed the boat. All these things we could have done. I'm going to, I'm going to list out the Activision Blizzard games that are on Switch: uh, Blizzard Arcade Collection, Sky, Skyliners Imaginators, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fuel, Spyro Re- Reignited Trilogy, Crash Bandicoot Four. It's about time. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro, Pro, Pro Skater, Pro Skater One and Two. Uh, di- uh, Di- Diablo t- 2 Remastered and uh, Diablo Diablo 3 are also on the Switch. Uh, it's like, the company does have Switch del- dev kits in there. So, and the, this idea that like they like they could not pivot to the Switch, it's just like, what? Like, Yeah, that's BS. <laughs> I, I, like, that's baffling and I call false on that. Uh, yeah, and it's not like Call of Duty is the most like insanely intense game engine-wise ever. Like, it's not like you couldn't say, "Oh, the Switch is doing really well. 
we'll just have this side team make a smaller budget version of this game. Like that, that that's that's it it comes from a modern gaming standpoint to like kind of say, oh well if we're not going to be able to make this super awesome quadruple A game, then it's not worth it. Like back in the day they were like, oh yeah, uh, Call of Duty DS. Like they <laughs> they could have done that. Like I a, I don't feel bad for Bobby Kotick because Bobby Kotick. B, it's not that you're not think you're you're not innovating enough to meet that need. <laughs> I, Stupid. I really like. I realize it's not a one for one comparison, but they put a version of Call of Duty Four out on Wii. Uh, yeah, and exactly. And that was actually a pretty well received version of that game. So, like. It's one of those, like, will-in-the-way sort of things. Like, they have enough capabilities. If they had wanted to put out these Call of Duty games on Switch, they could have, like, so, some version of it. Like, acting like yeah. it's somehow impossible, or they, or they like, uh, like Bobby Kotick is just, like, caught off guard and just like, oh, it's too late. It's just like, like, this, like, I can understand you missing out in the first year or two, but, like... Uh, like after yeah. after that, like there like there would have been plenty of time to like try and spin up and do something yeah. with it. Frankly, so it's not like the Switch has five years under its belt of success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're going to be talking about like even more success in the in the near future. Um, literally, yeah, literally, literally from this past month's sale. But anyways, okay, so uh, day uh, final day. Uh, FTC and Microsoft giving uh, closing closing remarks. Uh, the, uh, FTC is like says that they're concerned about like not just in the console space but also in the streaming space. Uh, Microsoft tried to make uh, comparisons, uh, talking about timed exclusivity. Like uh, it's basically just part of the business, but it's not a Again, it's it's not a one to one to one thing, uh, but I mean, I could, I mean, I could sometimes understand for the for the legal argument why you would want to conflate those two things, uh, because because uh, that that would be beneficial to you if somebody th said that way. Um, uh, the one thing, like definitely, uh, that came out late. Apparently, uh, Xbox CFO Tim Stewart. Uh, said that apparently during a 20, November 2021 meeting uh, that uh, all Zenimax titles going going forward, as opposed to just new IP, would be exclusive to Xbox. Uh, this uh, this uh, this was IGN reporting. This came out it came out on a chat conversation between uh, Stewart and uh, Xbox Game Studios Max Booty, uh, and I believe like the Zenimax heads were also. Um, uh, we're, we're like, cons uh, again, like concerned about like this, uh, uh, like basically making, uh, pre like profits for like the subdivision, like for, for, Z for ZeniMax, because like they've been factoring in like that they would be launching games on PlayStation going forward. Uh, yeah, Stewart said we we have uh, in brackets here accountability margin issues in, in the deal model, uh, as as we put a huge number of PlayStation units uh, out uh, out out of the model. So uh, this just goes to show that like again, uh, and when it's worth noting that like when Spencer was asked about this when while well, he was on the stand, uh, this like his 
this declaration of this meeting, his his response was just like he had uh, he he didn't recall the meeting. So yep, sure. <laughs> yeah. you, you obtained Zenimax uh, uh, specifically to not recall the meeting when you said, "Hey, we're we're making sure all of these games are Xbox exclusives." Yeah, it, that that meeting. What what meeting? Yeah, I, it would. Which strikes me as like why this came out via like a secondary text uh, thing that like it it sounds pretty clear that like that meeting uh, 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 Spencer was on the black books. Well, it, it, Spencer basically made sure that like it was just it was like a vocal conversation and like and that there there wasn't like he didn't like email people about it because that's honestly been a big part of like what's. Zenimax has tried to portray that like their exclusivity has not been because of orders from above, because of other reasons like uh, basically simplicity, um, like simplicity, timing, other matters like this. So, uh, but the revelation that like it was in fact just a, dict- a diktat from above that like no they will be Xbox going forward uh, was uh, was was simply that, um, n- not a. Not, not surprising in and of itself, but anyway, no, not at all. No, it, I wasn't shocked, but like again, like we're presenting like you know what was presented by one side and the other side. So, anyways, uh, the judgment on this uh, has has not been handed down as of time of the recording, but it might be. Uh, it's it's pr- it's probably going to be coming coming down soon. We'll see. Like this is going to be important, and like and this ruling, it's worth noting. Like will not solve it in permanence i think it would just like if if the if the judge blocks it it would basically be like okay then it, it goes to ftc court uh mm-hmm. who will who will who will then they will rule on the matter of like uh whether the acquisition should go forward or not um do you think it could make it to the supreme court um yeah, you know, I don't think that's the way the like the FTC operates in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, <laughs> spoiling a lot of things for the future, we will actually be bringing up something that brings up the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh boy! But anyways, I I'm just gonna say I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the the FTC is the uh, is the uh, beginning and end of it, but. Uh, but speaking, but yeah, you hinted ahead it earlier, um, like for switch sales, like let's talk about how great the switch sold when, uh, tears of the kingdom came out. Let's talk about this good month for Nintendo. Oh yeah. You betcha. Uh, so we got new Circana numbers during May, the U S consumer spending in games reached four building, four billion a 12% increase year-on-year. Year. Uh, software reached $3.6 billion during the month, uh, up 9%. Consumer spending on hardware jumped 56% year-on-year. This amassed $338 million. Uh, Circana stated that this is the highest video game hardware spare for a month of May since the $427 million reached in May 2008, which is kind of surprising to me a little bit. In well, surprising and not in uh, when you consider 2020 COVID times, um, because game spending was up a lot that year. Um, I don't know if you have any idea what the single highest selling game that month could have been, David. That does not start with Legend of Zelda. <laughs> 
Um, was was that was that Grand Theft Auto Four? Yeah, actually, wow, spot on. Yeah, it was GG. No, 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 it was Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> and oh, wait, sorry. I, I, I thought you it's, it's It's really funny looking at this because, um, uh, quite obviously, Tears of the Kingdom debuted last month. Uh, so we have the top five here um, going from Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, obviously ranked number one, obviously brand new to the charts. Uh, then we have Hogwarts Legacy at number two, previously at number six. Then we have Jedi Survivor, number three, previously number one. Dead Island 2 at number four, previously at number two. And at five still is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Um, it is interesting kind of to see that jump uh, f for Hogwarts Legacy. Um, I, I am assuming that that's one of two more jumps that we'll see for that game. Uh, being around the time that it launches on Switch, which is, I want to say, pretty soon, sometime this month, I think, um, and uh, towards Christmas time. Um, but uh, it is also interesting to note is that uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild also actually debuted in the top 20 at number 13. Previously, it was at number 28, another um, Nintendo title with some Zelda rep uh, that jumped uh, up, up quite a few spots is Smash Brothers Ultimate. Uh, it was previously at 23, now it's at number 14. Um, so obviously uh, Nintendo is still um, still kind of the king of sales when it comes to a, a, a big game release of theirs. So much so that it bumps up not only previous games in the series, but also slightly unrelated titles and in, in, uh, tangentially related upwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I did misinterpret your question. I thought you were I thought you were asking about uh, May May uh, two thousand eight. Uh, like what? No, 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 no. I I don't even know what two thousand eight would have been. Yeah, uh, 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 in, in a minor amount of uh, like research, like actually April of that year saw the release of Grand Theft Auto Four and also Mario Kart Wii. So uh, that is that is part of the reason why that is such a that was such a landmark month for for sales. Like is that those, oh, that absolutely makes sense then. Uh, the, those games were already out. Um, Smash Brothers Brawl had come out earlier this year, uh, that year. Um, so yeah, like, uh, but anyways, yeah. Put, putting it aside, yeah, you, you can. Uh, th this was just a bump from Tears of the Kingdom, pl plain and simple. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, and. That's really it. Really lifted the uh, the switch again uh, in a uh, in what is turning out to be like, I mean, like again, like the the system is doing spectacularly. Like considering uh, considering its general age, um, mm -hmm. this uh, this this might be the like the final peak for the system, but it's it's a heck of a peak, frankly. Uh, yeah, honestly, like I it, it I'm sure that it didn't end up this way on purpose but uh how lucky for the switch is it that it started strong with breath of the wild and it's gonna end real strong with tears of the kingdom like that like in in the fullness of time as as a phrase that i've heard you use a few times <laughs> uh how oh man on on top 10 consoles of all times you will be hard pressed not to see the nintendo switch I mean, certainly, like, uh, 
Uh, it depends. Depends on what it depends on what metric, but uh, certainly by like yeah, yeah. by sales metrics, yes, absolutely. Like definitely, um, like even even including well, the, I mean it's kind of fundamentally a portable console, but like if we lump lump both portable and home consoles together, like you know even with all that, um, is uh, it's almost certainly in the in the top five. Uh, like it's yeah. uh, it it gets difficult after a certain point to rank metrics, but yeah, it's been uh, the as noted before, like their previous, like I mean, they describe it as a as a hybrid console. Like some people say, it's a home console, whatever. But like the Switch was was definitely a home console, and like uh, and it was successful. But like it, by this point in its in its life cycle, it was really starting to fall off pretty hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Switch is absolutely not doing that. Uh, and yeah. and part of that is because like I feel like the uh, there's still a very eager audience, like just because fundamentally, like what the Switch does, like just being a convenient uh, portable system that can like also dock an interface and be a, uh, a a good home system is uh, is still something people fundamentally want. And like and there's there's like Steam Deck and a couple other like portable PC commanders that are like that have kind of come in and taken some things around the edges. But like the the Switch has uh, Nintendo games and extreme convenience and also cost it's uh it's cheaper than those than those alternatives so uh you add that all together and yeah you you look at this and um yeah it's it's uh an amazing success and like and everything like it's no surprise like why they would launch things like Zelda themed controllers, uh, the first of yeah. packs, things like that. Since it's just like all of those upsell are just things that like everybody wants for this thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like it's, uh, it shows like why, like some companies are still willing to like put games out for this system, even though it's essentially two generations behind PlayStation one slash Xbox series. Uh, because like there, there just is such a a big audience for it that you and particular audience, maybe younger audience that you can re- that uh, that you can reach that like maybe don't have access to the to the newest and new gen consoles. Um, mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, I mean, I'm I'm still well, I, I I I mean I can't speak for a personal fact, but like there's enough smoke in the air to know that like they are working on whatever the successor is, but. Um, I certainly hope for for their sake and the industry's sake that like that it is a that is a smooth handoff between these systems uh, because that would be frankly a nice change of pace for Nintendo. I'm sure they'd like that too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but also just to like like not disrupt this element of the industry because like I mean like upgrades uh, like new consoles upgrades like the, that's just a natural part of the of uh, this industry. But uh, you know, yeah, doing doing a, ni- a nice smooth handoff would all, like also potentially be less disruptive for just like a lot of the people basically in the <laughs> who are in the Nintendo sphere of games, frankly, uh, and yeah. like and maybe don't travel outside of that very much. Um, because I, I've definitely known some people like that, like who will be mainly of mainly familiar with like what's on Nintendo consoles and nothing else. Um, uh, but, but yeah, that is dependent on like how crazy a hardware gimmick that uh, that the Switch has. Um, so, uh, 
but so Tears of the Kingdom wildly successful going to the logical opposite of that Lord of the Rings Gollum um, uh, I think I know what one you're talking about yeah. with this <laughs> uh, the release has a Metacritic of 38 um, which is uh, disastrous by any measure uh, and uh and in issuing a statement to uh, 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 uh the German de uh, developer said that they have made a uh, the difficult decision of basically uh, ending internal development. Uh, Twenty-five. Oh, I wonder why. Twenty-five. <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember. Was DLC promised for Gollum or no? Uh, I mean, there there is some there are some extra purchases which like really extra help turn people against the game. The fact that like you have to purchase like the Sindarin language pack and there's an emote pack. Uh, there's like a basically an in-game glossary that you, that's usually free, but it's paid DLC in this case. Oh, um, that's that's horrible. Yeah, like that. I, I do believe that the Switch version was delayed. I wonder if that's going to be outright canceled now. I I would be I would be surprised if that came out. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Switch has been saved from a yeah, crappy yeah, board. yeah. You're, <laughs> like I mean, considering that the like the game also ran just absolutely horribly uh, on a PlayStation Five. So like, and despite the fact that it looks really bad, like so. I I don't know what what they could do to get that to run on Switch without yeah. more time or resources than they clearly are willing to invest. Uh, they said probably it, just slap the base game on Switch. Honestly, yeah, yeah they uh, said in the quote, "We've uh, at least twenty five people will be affected." Quote: We value each member of our team, and it is important for us to, that the transition go as smoothly as possible. Therefore, we will support our former employees in finding new opportunities within our network. Yeah, Daedalus, honestly, before this has, like... I mean, I mean, most people... Well, some people in games have, like, possibly heard the name before, but uh, not been uh, not been super familiar with it. And that's because, like, it is literally mostly been a, uh, a, a publisher of things. Uh, so the name would be out front, but, like, not really in the development. And this strikes me, like, I, I like to make the use of the expression, like, big swing. This is clearly something like that that was mm -hmm. designed to be that sort of swing for the company to, like, you know, maybe switch over to, uh, like, genuine big-time game development. Uh, uh, and, and this also shows, like, how like hit driven the gaming industry can be like if you're if you do a hit if you have a hit then like you know great like you can expand do other things like that and we're used to those positive tales but like this is one of the most honestly spectacular failures uh in the in recent members memory in the industry um, oh yeah no this is this is a disaster in every way shape and form uh also apparently uh while they work on a patch a second Daedalic Lord of the Rings game has just been cancelled. Uh, apparently it, would, it had been in the works since the middle of, of next year, but like if you're letting, if you're letting go your uh, big parts of your internal development team and say you're not developing things anymore, like, well, that spelled doom for that. Yeah. 
so 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 yeah that was just it was just interesting to see like how the the pendulum can can swing both ways uh, and you obviously you never go out of your way uh, to try and ma make something this bad but you know cr making creative projects is is hard but I think yeah. uh, uh, what whatever happened in this this was um, I like honestly I'd want to get like an after action report for just like everything that went wrong and how this game could end up getting released uh, because honestly honestly it probably sh it probably should have been killed at one point uh from what i've seen yeah. of it like it doesn't it it uses a bunch of very bad ideas um i it doesn't no no parts of its various elements seem fun uh it doesn't it doesn't really uh interact with the lord of the rings lore in a particularly interesting way it's a it's really a disaster but um Anyway, and I will just note uh, as a quick addendum when it comes to the uh, Activision Blizzard deal, as far as like uh, different regulators, uh, the uh, UK court court has uh, uh, blocked the CMA's request to de delay the the uh, the trial. Uh, basically, uh, Microsoft is going to bring it. Uh, going to appeal before a tribunal, and uh, and uh, I believe the uh, the the court date is going to be later later uh, later in July on July twenty eighth. Uh, they said the matter is significant and there's large amount of uh, material for any counsel to digest, but we anticipate a month allows ample time to for that to happen. Provide the CMA selects counsel with appropriate ability time to repair, especially given the support available within the CMA and from the existing council teams. Basically, it, uh, it is, uh, that appeal will not, will not be getting pushed back. Um, other, other news, uh, the South African, uh, South African competition board, uh, approved it, uh, unconditionally. So no problems there. Not a, not really a huge surprise. Like I'm not really like the regions where it's uh, been given, um, where there's been an issue. It's it's not surprised me that it's been like again UK and the United States just because of the uh, the it's basically the popularity of like Activision games in those regions and also like the the footprint in those regions. So. Those, yeah. those are the ones that matter most, and like most other regions, probably just just aren't going to care that much. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Is that like it, in some of these other countries, it's probably just like, uh, sure, we don't really care. We're worried <laughs> about poverty here, <laughs> or even like the games that are popular here are different than the games that are popular in the United States. Uh, yeah. And not to say that like Call of Duty isn't like a international brand, but like it is primarily a uh, a brand for U.S. gamers. Uh, yeah. Uh, but on the final note, um, uh, okay, uh, the Competition Bureau of Canada uh, uh, took issue with Microsoft claiming that every single worldwide regulator that has examined the deal, other than the FTC, uh, 
has dismissed the idea that uh, they would make Call of Duty exclusive to their uh, uh, ecosystem. The all but one, of course, referring to the uh, Competition Markets Authority from the uh, from the CMA. Uh, the bureau uh, uh, the bureau wrote to Judge Judge Corley in the in the U.S., who's overseeing the FTC Microsoft case, that the uh, quote the proposed merger is likely to result in substantial pre prevention and or lessening of competition with respect to gaming consoles and multi game subscription services. Uh, saying that they will continue to monitor the transaction. Uh, so, the, so, so they they took a kind of like weird stance in that like they clearly don't approve the deal, but like it doesn't look like they're moving to block it. So it just seems like they, right. it just seems like they issue that message to say like you know we we don't like it, but we're not necessarily going to do anything about it. So, um, so whatever. But. Uh, Anyways, final story of the night. We and we teased it earlier, like when it came to the Supreme Court. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, Apple is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overthrow a ruling in the Epic Antitrust case. Uh, Apple is continuing to fight against the ruling made two years ago in its antitrust legal battle with Fortnite maker Epic Games. Um, Court filing released yesterday shows that the iPhone maker is appealing to the U.S. Supreme Court, requiring that it over or requesting that it overrule the original decision that Apple should cease its anti-steering policies, preventing developers from directing users to other channels for pur for purchases. Epic sued Apple for anti-competitive practices in 2020 after the latter pulled Fortnite from its app store over a new update that enabled players to buy V-Bucks directly from the developer, avoiding the 30% pay cut that Apple takes on all transit transactions. In 2021, the U.S. District Court of California rejected 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10 claims made by Epic, but ruled in Fortnite firm's favor when it came to the anti-steering pump practices ordering Apple to enable developers to offer alternate payment options. Oh man, I I remember when we were talking about this one, uh, I I I was saying that it was basically bad guy versus bad guy and this is the <laughs> same thing. Like it's it it's just annoying because like yes, I get that what Apple is doing is is not particularly friendly to um developers uh that you know developers are gonna be like oh well why would i you know want to um you know in incentivize pur purchases in this um app if if most if well not if a chunk of it is going to go into someone else's pocket so then maybe they'll just raise prices to make sure that they get the money that they wanted in the first place but at the same time it's like apple you have so much better to do with your time. <laughs> you can, you are making, you, you will not run out of money for the foreseeable future. This is not your biggest concern. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> I think fundamentally for Apple, they, they see this as like a existential issue to like the app store. Uh, yeah. That like, uh, that they won't have a literal monopoly on iOS devices anymore. Uh, so much so that, like, even a court ruling that was, like, 9 out of 10 counts in their favor, they still really want that one to go away. Yeah. Uh, 
because it, because it was so like, and that's part of the reason why I like I'm glad we covered it back in the day. In the day, just to give a, uh, we get full context that like, hey, even though uh, Apple won on nine and ten counts, but, like both companies kind of lost bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to the degree that like. It's Apple, not uh, not Epic, who has already like lost their appeal that is appealing to the Supreme Court. So it's 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 stupid and frustrating <laughs> because like it it's it doesn't help that Apple kind of fostered this market in in a way in that they were like oh yeah just just put your stuff on here and and you go right ahead mate. Those microtransactions fit right on into these apps, but now that um, Epic was like, but we want more money for us, <laughs> then it became this whole big stupid thing. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's been interesting to see it unfold. Uh, it'll be... I mean, like I said, you can tell that, like, Apple really, really d does not like that that one part of the ruling, and I mean there is um, there is absolutely zero guarantees this will be taken up. My guess is actually it won't, uh, but it's it's interesting that that it did come out, and uh, yeah. and I'm certainly not going to try and like. I mean, most judges in, in particular, like when it comes to these particular sort of like market tech cases, like how they're going to rule, like is like if if anybody could like, uh, like look at a court and say like, oh, yeah, they're definitely a rule on like this way or that way. Like, like they're clearly soothsayers, like because I because I certainly don't know as so, yeah. somebody who occasionally pays attention to what the uh, uh, Supreme Court is doing. Uh, but uh but anyways, well, yeah. Interesting notes that they, though it, it definitely like we'll we'll talk about this later. If well, uh, if the Supreme Court does take it up, that'll be that would be a hoot and a half. Like I'd like to see like what like what, what exactly are like what exactly would, would they would they ask of these two sides? Like uh, want to see like some of the rather senior members of the, of the court like try and. Try and get their head around what exactly is being argued here. Uh, yeah, I mean, modern politics is already enough of a clown show. I, I don't, I don't know that that needs to um, get even worse <laughs> by introducing digital. I, I have to assume that there are digital clowns in Fortnite. I don't, I don't care about Fortnite. I, I'm just imagining. Oh man, there are going to be a bunch of kids friggin' flossing outside of the Supreme Court. Ugh. Oh, God, we truly do live in the worst timeline. Supreme Court, I really don't like you right now, but don't take this case up because I don't want to see that. <laughs> that would be the be the even darker timeline confirmed. But... That that would just be the dumb timeline at that point. You'd just be like, oh man, the COVID was better than this. Uh, you're, you're right. I, actually, what you said to me before the parody timeline, parody timeline. Yeah, the confirmed. parody timeline. That's it. That's it. Yep. <laughs> So switching over to this week's topic, Mean Tuesday Applied, Sky Children of Light. Uh, yeah, played in 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 uh, quotation marks. <laughs> the vaguest of terms possible. Uh, to give some some context, this is the free to play game 
by uh, Journey Developers, that game company. Um, now, uh, at the start of the game, when you first spin it up, there's some text detailing people creating a kingdom of sky at the start of the t game that you encounter. This is as much exposition as the game provides. Uh, the, this game is highly reliant on emoting animated characters to get the point across for how the NPCs, all spirits, feel. Uh, they in turn give you... Yeah, you know, I, I kind of actually forgot about the text part at the beginning of the game. That's how minimal it was. It's easy to really forget about it since I... Like, maybe there's some way to interact with it later, but they... It's the it's the most basic of given the premise of this game. Uh, those spirits they give you emotes to use in the world, which ties into the game's general uh, social elements. Now, I would best describe Sky as having a score like a Disney or a Miyazaki movie. Lots of soaring strings that work work in turn with particular moments. It fits with the overall aesthetic of something wholesome and welcoming. Uh, and the first area has puffy clouds and flowing green fields of it. Uh, this game isn't uh, isn't a technical masterpiece, but it does a lot with a little. Like uh, Journey, it's very evocative with its art style. The flying manta rays and helpful jellyfishes, it uh, creates the vibe of a ocean in the sky. Yeah, I, I will say that like uh, some of the... Um artistic parts of it are are particularly pretty yeah. now i i joke that this was the dark souls of co-op since it didn't seem intuitive at all at first uh, when when you add friends it's not immediately immediately obvious that what what this does since there's no option in the pause menu to uh to, uh, to invite them uh, we initially t tooled around for an hour, unable to successfully see each other. Then I restarted, and we did get it to work. And uh, and and you generally have to enter each other's world from the home hub area. That said, it can be easy to lose track of each other while exploring, uh, uh, and even if you uh, enter a new zone. Uh, yeah, wasn't there a time that like one of us accidentally entered the new zone and our game disconnected because of that? Yeah, I believe some something like that did happen. Like you, you wandered forward to the new zone, and we spent too much time apart. So, like when I came in there, it's like, oh, we we separated. So, uh, we needed to go back to the home area and, and reconnect. It was easy enough to like resume where we were, but but still, uh, what a masterpiece of co-op. <laughs> when you were close to a friend, they appear uh, as you do with their colored wings and hair, and other people look shadowed which is a nice way to highlight people you actually know uh, and or have interacted with. Uh, incidentally, I was very glad early on in the game when I could get a different hairpiece uh, hair just because, like, if I'm playing with somebody, I want to, if, if at all possible, I want to visually make myself dissimilar to them. Uh, mm -hmm. Just It just helps as far as, like, I, I, like general acuity when, when playing a game. Not that this game is a fast action game or anything like that uh, yeah this is the antithesis of a platinum game <laughs> uh, uh, but at the same time there aren't any real puzzles so one might ask what is sky about uh, the answer it's about lighting candles uh, to, uh, to, to produce to produce your own which is the game's currency it's about seeing emotes 
of which there are many. It's about looking at memories of spirits, which are strewn about the game and generate emotes for you, uh, and resources on their own. There are also Children of Light that grant additional wing power, uh, which is uh, uh, the the most important upgrade of them all. It's the only one that really uh, changes the gameplay significantly. There's no escaping Sky's inherent social nature. Uh, there's benches that you can just sit down in and potentially talk to strangers. There are notes that can be left on candles, uh, in shards of light, or in float floating paper boats. It's also apparently popular in Japan with all the messages we read in Japanese to be believed. Uh, one example of one I particularly like. If all the crabs are removed from the crab cave, does it just become the cave? <laughs> there, there were some cute uh, writing quotes. Uh, it, it was funny to see because the first week that we played it was actually the week before Tears of the Kingdom came out, and there were a couple notes that were like, oh, "I hope some of my friends that I made here aren't gone forever after Zelda comes out." <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Were, were those notes in Japanese or English? Those are in English. Okay. Those are in English. Yeah. Well, Wide variety of languages. And I know because, like, it will give you, like, whatever the original language is and then the English translation. Uh, and th I will say the generated translation is pretty good. Uh, now, uh, with such little dialogue, uh, it's very interpretive. But uh, the first part is about delivering spirits into a jar, as far as I can tell. Uh Early on, rain is the closest thing to a, to an obstacle. Uh, it diminishes your uh, your energy when you're standing out in it. Uh, the life lesson is water is bad for you and fire heals. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't drink water, kids. Uh, instead, stick to good old Baja Blast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we had ascended and unlocked new spirits, you can spend ca candles to, uh, to pan pantomime like them in certain ways. Uh, apparently, the path to enlighten, uh, alignment is uh, is achieved via unlo unlocking new emotes. Uh, now, one area where it was very much like Journey was the sliding, and I noted you liked the sliding. Yeah, I I actually thought that it was uh, a a decent uh, enough system there. I, I I those were the moments where I enjoyed the game. <laughs> Uh, on any slick surface or uh, on a downward sl slope, it uh, you can slide. The third area, which has ice, snow, and sand, players are sliding all the time, including a, ra uh, a ramp at the end of the area where you have to gather all the shards of light, uh, uh, which had a few side areas that also basically had nothing, and one co uh, and one co-op door that opened to literally nothing. Uh, I remember when you were quite upset that there were apparently seven spirits in that area, and for all our exploring, we, we saw none of them. Um, yeah, they're, they're, um, it's, it's the opposite problem that um, Spider-Man has, so much that it doesn't have a problem at all in that, like, <laughs> when I was exploring New York, I was like, okay, this is really fun, finding these collectibles that have a little narration and backstory as to why they're here, versus Sky, Children of Light being like, we scoured this entire level, and the game is telling us there are seven spirits here. Where are they? Like, I, I don't want to say pixel hunting, but do we have to pixel hunt to find them? That's bad. 
I will say from my experience later, like since I did play a little a little bit of it uh, separated from you, it might be a case that certain things are like in-game time of day related, uh, since there is definitely some of that going on. Like uh, there is an in-game day-night cycle and certain things appear or disappear for that. So maybe it's that. Maybe there's certain other actions I have to do. Uh, who knows? Um, what I... I, I I am hoping that's the case, but if it is, that was never communicated to us. Uh, no, no. In which case, I am even more frustrated. Yeah, it's uh, it is a game where like, honestly, finding information is challenging because firstly because like a lot of it is written for the mobile game, and secondly because like also the game has constantly been updated and changed. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, because of that, like. It's it's honestly difficult to like f- like find things and find areas and find stuff you want to do. But anyway, uh, the only aggressive action that you can take in Sky is burning corruption in the environment. Uh, I give the game some credit; it's actually pretty satisfying to burn things. Uh, but this is the extent of f- quote fighting back that Sky provides. Yeah, for as much trash as I'll talk, which is a lot, uh, I, I will say that at least the burning did feel satisfying, and the sound effects for it were very uh, true to a, a fire crackling, so at least they did that right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do think like the square button it did it a little too much. Uh, being both interact as well as bring up the menu for talking to near and uh, for talking to nearby player players, depending on circumstance. Uh, this is really one area where the mobile routes show. As I can't help but feel like if things would have been a bit smoother if it had been designed for controllers from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to the point that we brought up earlier, it's really easy to uh, get ahead of your co-op partner and then just lose track of them, uh, the way the different zones work. Uh, and all of the zones, like, are very small, like, which, again, feels like an element of the mobile routes. Like, I was actually kind of shocked at, like, how often we'd have to, like, go through a narrow, narrow passage and then it'd be like, you know, there, bam, we're, you're in a new area. Uh, like, yep, yeah. Like there are some areas that are like that are fairly big actually uh, later in the game, but like there's also some that are like just kind of shockingly, seemingly unnecessarily small. But I'm going to blame its mobile routes. Uh, yeah, and it's unfortunate because like the the areas that they are, like of course they're not going to be highly graphic uh, graphic uh, styled or, or anything like that, but they're like. The areas had an interesting design to them. It's just, it felt a lot like, okay, we start at point A, where is point B? And it's just kind of a um, minor obstacle course to get to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I I will say, like, for um, uh, the... the uh, like, there's a bit of fluidness whenever you do uh, do anything in the game... Um, making even basic platforming a challenge, which once again feels like its legacy as a mobile title. Like I feel like there's a little bit of self-correcting. Like it would, it, like it, it will try and make it so that like you actually do land on things if you can manage it. But yeah, uh, I will say like when it comes to flying, like after a little bit, I mostly got used to it in the air. But the, but it's not. 
but like it was a problem for me the controls are non-inverted by default and i had to go into the menu every time i started the game and like switch it's just like no yes please invert it um that flying for me was something that i never got used to and and like I feel a little bad for being as harsh as I was on the game when we were playing it, but at the same time, it, like, it just, it never felt like it was connecting the way that I wanted it to, like, and, and especially with the flight controls, it felt like it was way too floaty, or, like, I was giving it suggestions instead of, uh, requests as to where to go, (laughs) it, it, and, and I'm not used to flight sims or anything like that, but, like, I was like, wow, I would certainly rather be playing um, Star War, Lego Star Wars and Space Battles, because that at least kind of makes sense. <laughs> I, like, uh, eventually, like, I, uh, I, got, I got used to, like, what it was trying to go through. Like, the basics of flights, I, I was like, okay, this, this is perfectly fine. I think the thing is really, like, the number limited number of flaps to your wings uh, that yeah. you have before you recharge. That's the real sticky wicket. Uh, yeah, and the wing- I, I absolutely agree on that, and and it's a little unfair too, because like oh you can go and get um, more of those if you're willing to hang out in the game for like forty hours and have like twenty <laughs> wing flaps. Yeah, and uh, and wings don't recharge on their own. You need to be near a light source. Uh, this can effectively yep. ground a player for a while in areas where light sources are uncommon. Uh, though it does incentivize co-op play since players can't share light. Uh, uh, and also there's cases where, like, the camera arrests your view in order to, like, show a particular thing that it wants to, uh, which... Yeah, uh, and and that will jerk control out of your hands. Yes, yeah, it's... That, that is, uh, again, sometimes not not great. And, uh, and that's also, like, again, as far as something you can sell, like, that's something... Uh, I believe, like... Increasing your wing recharge rate is is an item that you can use, which is something you can of course buy. Uh, like as like one of the few real gamey things that is actually in this game. Uh, of course, like you can also just grind out candles if you want to, uh, since that is that is also just an element of the game. And I got the sense that a lot of the people pl- playing it, which were mostly younger children, were doing exactly that. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, later on, the real threats to the player appear in these spindly enemies called dragons uh, that will attack the player if they see them uh, putting on, like, a menacing red spotlight and coming down and potentially putting them in a weakened state. With this, they can offer the biggest threat this game has to offer, which is diminishing your wing ability. like that is. Oh, I had forgotten about that part, yeah. and now I'm angry yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that that is uh, that is not a good feeling. Like like potentially having that knocked out of you and not being able to get to the item soon enough, and uh, and losing that permanently, um, permanently until you you get you get another wing upgrade. But yeah, it's. Uh, uh, that is uh, that is the late game uh, part, uh, and in fact, like that's a big part of the uh, the, uh, the the ending of the game, which uh, which you lo- you literally lose everything. Uh, yeah, 
uh, and and seemingly die and are reborn uh, in a celestial manner. The ending feels like a metaphor for the struggles of life and the tr- and transcendence transcendence of the soul leads to a, a to our true form in the heavens. Uh, also, just Buddhism, yo. Um, it was. <laughs> It was, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it was quite lovely, though, and uh, we both went silence on the mic as we just kind of ab- absorbed the the whole ending sequence, which is uh, again quite quite lovely looking. Um, now, now I knew bringing you to this game was going to be experiment uh, because there are no guns in it. Uh, I don't know. Well, here here's the thing: is that like it doesn't it doesn't always need guns. Guns are a very <laughs> are a very cheap way to get me into it. Um, that's, that's part of the reason why I played Enter the Gungeon so much, but I, I really struggled with this game. Like I, because that's the thing is that I have not played Journey and, and you have, I've heard like, you know, oh, Journey is one of the top 100 games of all time, willing to believe that. And then I play this and I'm like, oh, is this the legacy of Journey? This makes me not want to play Journey at all. Well, I, I would I would still recommend Journey because, like, okay, like, uh, and this might be a difficult thing to fully imagine, but, like, take this game and, like, and imagine it, like, more as a game and, and less as, like, uh, a social experience that needs to be, like, slightly fueled by microtransactions. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you you kind of have have journey like journey is also super short. Uh, I, I will note like when it comes to Sky Children of Light, I don't know what the opposite of a of a gun is, but it's probably this game. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a little it's definitely not what this is. Yeah. Um, uh, you made the comment that like it as Sky Children of Light doesn't feel like a game that it's like it, that it's like an experience, kind of missing something. Uh, uh, like honestly, to me, I would say it feels like a shared social pl- space, like the Meverse mm-hmm. or various free-to-play MMOs that ha- that 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 happen to have like happen to have game elements in them. Uh, sure, there's an ending to Sky Children of Light, but you can just wander freely if you want. Uh, the the trophies for the game lean into that as well. Uh, as an offline game, this would, the trophies would definitely be about finding all the spirits in the area and unlocking the different regions. Uh, however, uh, with with what this game actually is, uh, the trophies are about like making friends, holding hands, uh, sharing light in a group, uh, hug, hugging players, or doing a piggyback stack. Uh, there's a few things that do more gaming things, but like that's it's really clear that they want people to like just be interacting with others. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's no big surprise to me, honestly. Uh, to relate an experience that happened to the brief period of time when I played separately from you Tuesday, I was going to pick up a cat, a cat a crab from this one cave, uh, but someone I, I passed was making sounds to, it, uh, to help them. I was about to exit, and, the, uh, and when I tr- tr- uh, turned and saw them still asking for help, I just dropped the crab and doubled back to help them. Uh, it was a, ske- a section where you have to escort a spirit between two different points, and uh, and having two people definitely helped gu- uh, guiding it through all the o- the overgrowth that had to be burned away. As we were leaving, he picked up a, cra- a crab, and I thought, "Oh, was he was he t- was he sawing what? Is- did he see what I was doing and made sh- made sure I had a crab?" 
Uh, it's just that sort of game, engendering kindness between people. Uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah. Honestly, this is more of a social experience built on top of the framework of a game. Uh, like everything, like the gamey parts feel secondary to like leaving notes, lighting candles, etc., etc., etc. The purpose of Sky literally is the friends we make along the way. Uh, what, like, I think in some circumstances that would just be a complete joke, but that actually really seems to be the purpose of this game. Uh, facilitating fr friendly interactions with old and new friends. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Like, and and it's something that, like, with you having said it's, it's more of a shared space than a game, I, I agree with that. I... It's something that I really did want to like, honestly. Like I, I, I was playing it, and I was like, I, I'm really trying here. I'm, I'm really <laughs> struggling to see the charm in it because I, I wanted to. It just felt like there was that piece missing. Like, it, it either needs more budget or less budget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in, in like a way that like it can be this big grand social network kind of thing and, th and that's cool or it could be like a, a smaller kind of like here explore these areas find these pieces and have them connect better and and i think that would have worked more to the kind of tune that i was looking for and and the fact that it just doesn't hit exactly the way that i wanted to i i know that part of that is me but I have to feel like part of that is also the game kind of being less gamey than it, it really could be. No, I, I would absolutely agree with that. Like, if... Uh, I mean, I'm glad we had this experience, but, like, it definitely showed, like, how it was, frankly, less gamey than I was expecting. Um, yeah. Like, and it, like, I know for, like, that game company, they were... Uh, like honestly, they didn't reach as many people with Journey as they were hoping. That that was what Genova Chen said, and that's part of the reason why uh, they wanted to put out a mobile game. Like, and when you make may, may, when you're putting out a game for mobile, like that also makes some other decisions for you. And they yeah. they clearly wanted to make like something more accessible. So like, I feel like that kind of pushed it away from being more of a game. Like I like if you take some of the core elements in here, like again, like and had drilled down and like being more of a conventional game. I think, I think it could have potentially been honestly spectacular. Like, cause the, the, yeah. there's like, the, like there's those elements in there. I was like, you know, oh, this, this could be so interesting. Like maybe put in some like real actual puzzles in here, like, like better fill out the environment with, uh, like exp explicit clues as to what happened. Um, mm -hmm. like, like there's things you could do, but the game just kind of just kind of doesn't let you do it. It just doesn't have them, um, yeah. and uh, and just instead like just kind of focuses on uh, just interaction, which like mm -hmm. uh, I mean like I can kind of respect what they like 
the fact that they tried to focus on something different, like that's that's inter- that's interesting in a way. But yeah, to your point, it it does make it into less of a good game than uh, Journey or even Flower, I would say, uh, which is which was the that game company game before, before that, which I also which is also a very zen and peaceful game, uh, but is yeah. but is also definitively a game. I should add, mm-hmm. uh, like you're you you have you have goals. Uh, there's things you're doing, um, and it doesn't feel like a secondary thing, like which is the way that Sky, frankly, operates. Uh, yeah, like and and part of it that um, we've talked on and on a little bit about the uh, microtransaction elements. When I first saw, oh, this is available through X vendor in in certain area shop through candle points i i felt that kind of mobile sting like that yeah. that stain that like creeped into me when i was playing <laughs> love nikki which i absolutely deserve judgment for to anyone <laughs> who's thinking that um not because it's a fashion game but because it's a mobile game um and and i was just like oh this is something that like i can feel there's going to be a certain point where I'm going to have to drop off, even even if it was something that I was playing on my own. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, I will say to their credit, it's not exactly like that. Like we we made it to the end, and yeah, I like there there is zero necessity in purchasing anything uh, to get to the end. But like, yeah, the the fact that it is a free to play game, and they have to make their their money somehow. So, like, there's a ton of cosmetics, as well as, like, instruments that you can play in-game. Uh, like, you know, which which is kind of neat. Like, th- like they filled out all, all these things that, like, it reminds me of an MMORPG in this way, that, like, there's all these elements, like, kind of around the craft of the game. Except, like, the, mm-hmm. the game itself is, like, such a small thing in this case. Uh, yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like this thing around the edges. It's just like, oh, no, like, th- this game is actually mostly kind of that craft, as far as I can tell. Uh, like that that is a that's a huge focus of that like you're like just the engagement the the stuff you do like accumulating candles to be able to just collect everything and get everything and fill out your constellations uh like that's that is i guess like kind of the game or like i i guess what they're expecting people to do like maybe after they play the play all the way through the story is just is just kind of like collecting things and helping other people out and collecting things i guess uh, and and that's the and that's the game, that's Sky Children, which which is admirable. I I would really like to see a game that like does do that, where it's like, oh, you're in this city and you can play with all these other people, but you can't like. Uh, and and I, th- I think when we were playing this game, we we talked a little bit about that. Is is that Journey was developed with the idea that you can never hurt other other yeah. characters, or or maybe I'm yes. thinking of a, no, okay, no, I am yeah. thinking of that yes, game. That's correct. Okay. Like I, I would like to see a game that like fully implements that in in a interesting way, in that like you'll never be able to fight another character, uh, another player controlled character. You can only help them. You can only solve problems for other people. I'd like to see that. I think that's a good idea. It needs to be executed better than this, though. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and I think it really uh, casts a sharp contrast on like. Uh, even the de- de- the ability of like very talented developers, I think, to like try and find this problem and also integrate it into a free to play game in a way that isn't 
like noxious uh, or brings yeah. down the experience. Like again, like to my point, like I think like uh, that's the kind of like. I, like I did, I was maybe like more positive than you, but like I still was slightly disappointed in the respect that like I really like you, that thing you said about like you know rating Journey really highly. I'm one of those people. Like oh yeah no yeah so uh, like the, like this game is definitely not close to the peak of Journey, uh, but mm-hmm. the frustrating part is that I look at elements of it good like it could have been it could have been up there, yeah. but but it it's not. Uh, and, yeah. and part of it is I realize I, I like are elements that I don't think are made for me. And I think also parts of it is that it was made for, uh, to be accessible to very young people. Uh, like, mm-hmm. so, uh, and I'm, I'm not a especially young person anymore. So, um, so maybe, maybe, maybe yeah, to, I have knee pain today, so I'm not young either. <laughs> maybe to like a bunch of twelve year olds, like it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, fun time. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, as a, uh, it's a, it's a game, weird social uh, experience thing. Uh, it's kind of successful in that, but like it's, it's not exactly what uh, I was f- fully hoping for. But uh, it was. It's certainly an interesting thing to like try and go through and and experience uh, it, but yeah, like I I think I think mileage varies heavily, but uh, uh, and I would definitely say as far as like if uh, like probably a journey might be so, like if one expects a new journey like it it is kind of like that game in some ways uh, in some like basic gameplay ways, but like. It is. Uh, it is also not like it just because that Journey was a premium game and this is not. So, yeah, um, you're inherently going to have that limitation to this one. Yeah, indeed. So, so that was Sky Children of Light. Thank you all for listening. Uh, next next topic. Uh, Where I've just been. Talked about it with Tuesday, and we agreed. Like you know, video game music is great. Uh, so we're just gonna we're just gonna list like our our to- our top composers of like uh, since 2010 or so, like be- best modern com- composers in games, in our opinion, and just gush about how how great they are. Uh, Spoiler alert! Uh, we've already said the name of who's guy either going to be my number one or number two. Not in this <laughs> podcast, but definitely in, in uh, yeah in recent ones. Yeah, and it, <laughs> anyone who has been uh, p- paying attention to deep SNG lore will probably be able to guess uh, at least a few of these. But uh, but we will <laughs> we will leave that for the future. Uh, Once again, uh, thank you all for listening, and hopefully we will see you all next time. Until then.